This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Oh, no, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off the by lighting up. Oi! From my friends. The star of the show. Oi! Oi! To a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. Boy, this boy. is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. 77 WABC. The second state of the city address after a year of COVID, crime, and the controversy over the influx of asylum seekers, the mayor unveiled an ambitious agenda in a speech. Let's stop starting off hating each other and start embracing each other. This is what we want to do. At least four people were hurt, including three firefighters, after a fire ripped through a Bronx apartment building on Carpenter Avenue in the Wakefield section. Video shows massive flames and smoke pouring out of the roof. Investigators say the fire then quickly spread to the next door building, potentially impacting over 100 apartments. What in God's name would the Americans give up the progress we've made for the chaos they're suggesting? I don't get it. That's why the MAGA Republicans are liberally choose to inflict this kind of pain on the American people. Why? Why? This nation has gone through too much. We've come too far to let that happen. I will not let it happen. Not on my watch. I will veto everything they send me. on your Friday morning. Yesterday I played Oasis, Don't Go Away, marking the seven-year anniversary of my trip to New York. And then some uh, listeners sent me a direct message on Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram at Rosenberg.Sydney, at Rosenberg.Sydney, and said, listen, the better song, Touch the Ground at JFK, would be Angel of Harlem. You love you too, you know, your return, blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay. Today does mark seven years since my return to New York City. Me and Bernard taking over the midday show at WABC, January the 27th of 2016. So I uh, went with it. And it's one of my favorite songs anyway. It's a great story uh, of how Bono actually wrote that song. It was basically on a napkin in a restaurant. And who knew it would be such a huge hit? And, you know, you find out, Lou, you know this because you've got a great musical knowledge, that a lot of the greatest songs ever, you know, guys are just in restaurants. Like Lee Greenwood, for example, he was sitting on the back of his truck when he wrote that song, which has become basically the American National Anthem. And uh, Bono was just kind of sitting around, rolling a napkin in a restaurant. Next thing you know, you've got Angel of Harlem. But uh, that was uh, the song 
that the listener wanted, Lou. You think that makes sense? I think it was an excellent choice. Excellent I was, choice. I, I, I thought it was such an excellent choice. I stammered here for 10 minutes during the news hour, mad that I didn't think of it. <laughs> no, no kidding. Well, I have to wish myself a happy anniversary today because I haven't gotten the text yet from Chad Lopez or anybody else. Seven years ago today, me and Bernard, Bernard, God rest his soul, coming to you live this morning from the Bernard McGurk studio. Happy anniversary, seven years to Sid Rosenberg at WABC. Now, a lot going on today. We've got a lot of guests. You've got a huge football weekend. The road to Phoenix uh, ends on Sunday with two big games, the NFC Championship game, the Eagles hosting upstart Brock Purdy and the 49ers. And then, of course, Joe Burrow trying to beat Mahomes again for a fourth consecutive time in Kansas City. But there's also two major, major historical days we're going to go over today. One of those is today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. It was on this date back in 1945 that um, Auschwitz was liberated. So basically 78 years ago today, that was the end of of World War II, and my partner today, back again, uh, great job on Tuesday, back here on Friday, Andrew Giuliani, you were telling me this morning, Drew, that you're actually on the some team, the Holocaust, on, some committee. On the U.S. First off, congratulations Thank on you. seven years. You said what an amazing story, a comeback story. I think it inspires anybody who's going through any challenge in their life to look at your story Thank and you. to look at where you came from to now be number one in the number one city in the world. Thank you. Um, I appreciate I, that. I love you. Thank uh, you. I love you, too. And the truth is, uh, when we think about National Holocaust Remembrance Day, I actually had the honor that President Trump uh, appointed me to the U.S. National Holocaust Board, uh, which meets a couple times a year in Washington, D.C., uh, and goes over the uh, museum and the exhibits and making sure that we never forget. Uh, just very similar to the mission that we hear from Frank Siller and the Tunnel to Towers in terms of making sure that we're teaching this, that we don't have the ignorance that we've heard far too often recently with regards to the Holocaust. That's the mission of the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Council. Uh, and, and I'm honored to serve a five-year term on it, appointed wow. by President Donald Trump, who I still say uh, of all of our presidents, there's nobody who's been a better friend to Israel or the Jewish people than not Donald e- Trump. Not, That's not even close. Not even up for debate, exactly. Uh, how many presidents, six before him, promised to move the embassy to Jerusalem? Only Donald did it. Donald made sure that the Golden Heights was recognized as a part of Israel. The Abraham Accords. He had a great relationship with Bibi Netanyahu, yeah. which neither Barack Obama or Joe Biden has. Not even close. Trump is uh, the greatest friend of Israel. We'll talk to Rabbi Joe Potashnik, who does that great show every Sunday morning before John Katsimatidi's great show, The Rev and the Rabbi, coming up at 6.40. Talk about the Holocaust, Donald Trump, and all that stuff. Also, 50 years ago today, 50 years ago today, marked the end of the Vietnam War. The treaty was signed 50 years ago today. We'll talk to Colonel Jack Jacobs coming up at 8.05. And look, I was born in 1967, so I don't remember. I was too young to remember all of it. But I've got two older sisters both in their 60s now, Alana and Ray Sherry. And they were like, uh, you know, Alana was a Woodstock kid. And, you know, she's still a crazy liberal. I can't stand her politics. I love her, but she talks politics. She sounds idiotic. But she's one of those kids, you know, I hate the war and I'm smoking weed and all that stuff. And so I remember a little bit some of the unrest and what was going on. You're wait, you weren't even, you weren't even born yet. Right. Um, but I know the history of Vietnam, obviously, and... And what a tragic war that was. Yeah. You know, we're still kind of dealing with Iraq, Afghanistan, also bad wars. Mm-hmm. 
where we, we suffered way too many casualties for really no good reason. And you can say the same thing about Vietnam. I don't want to make these kids' lives minimize what they did or their courage because it was amazing. But a lot of these wars, of course, are brought on by government and politics. Mm-hmm. They don't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And we're still feeling the effects 50 years later of the losses in Vietnam. Yeah, I think we still still deal with the same question that we were asking in Vietnam, which is how much is America the world's policeman versus how much of this is national security in terms of getting involved with these foreign affairs? We talk about it all the time with Ukraine as we see more and more money getting poured in. And I thought the interview that you did the other day, and now I'm drawing a blank with who it was, but he made such a great point about it. Uh, who did you do an interview with yesterday, or was it on Wednesday, that you talked about the U- uh, money going to Ukraine, and he talked about how it really was tying up Putin, and that was... Well, that the, was, uh, I, I did two of them, really. It was Judge Napolitano was right. one, Peter King was, was another. There okay. was one more, you're right. Yeah, Bill O'Reilly talked about it yesterday. Who it was, was O'Reilly. Maybe Bill was O'Reilly. O'Reilly. Oh, and Bill O'Reilly. John Cass talked about o- it, too. O- O'Reilly, I think, made a great point about it. Thank you, Phil. Actually, Phil's throwing some value in early in the morning. Normally, he doesn't <laughs> yeah. like add some value until about 9.57 or so. Oh, I usually like, don't add value station, so. to anyone until I go home. Very impressive. That's also true. Another true statement from Phil. But I thought it was a a great point in terms of uh, looking at Ukraine as, hey, this is a way to make sure that Putin gets bogged down in the mud. Um, I'm with you, though, Sid, in terms of I want a clear accounting of these over $100 billion that has gone to Ukraine now. And we frankly don't know where a billion of those $100 billion have gone. Uh, and we know that a lot of times, and I was actually with Cash Patel at the America First Warehouse a couple of days ago, uh, and he makes it very clear that a lot of times we still end up sending gobs and gobs of cash yeah. straight over there. Yep. So you can't account for a lot of this. And no, that's a real problem. Sense. It is a big problem. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm still kind of basking in the glory. A couple of weeks ago, some guy found an old interview I did with George Santos, me and Bernie, actually, <laughs> dating back to three years ago. And it was uh, it was a crazy week. I mean, they, they were playing the interview on David Muir, ABC World News Tonight, Lester Holt, local telecasts, every newspaper. It was everywhere. It was huge. And then uh, two days ago, the mayor was on, and he talked about all the things he talked about in yesterday's State of the City. He talked about the migrant crisis. He talked about subway safety. All the things he highlighted yesterday he talked about with me two days ago. So I told this story yesterday, two nights ago. I was having dinner with Gabriel in a local pizzeria. And the sound was off, the TV was on, very crowded. And they showed a picture of Eric Adams, and I said, Hey, Gaby, watch Daddy's picture is going to be next. I was kidding, totally kidding. Sure enough, next picture, Sid Rosenberg, WABC. And as it turns out, that interview went everywhere. And then yesterday, of course, he did the State of the City, where he basically repeated to the city what he told me two days ago. We've got the audio right here. Let's start with Eric Adams talking about the issue of Traffic violence in the city. This, Lewis and Andrew, is cut number six. 2023 is the year we are going to tighten the screws on reckless drivers, holding them accountable for their actions before they harm others. We must treat traffic violence the same way we treat other dangerous crimes. New Yorkers should not have to fear for their lives every time they cross the street or bike to work. Then he goes on to talk about the rat issue and Curtis Sliwa, (laughs) who's going to join us coming up at 7.05. He joins me every Monday and Friday. He was so excited that Mayor Eric Adams actually mentioned him during his State of the City yesterday. He couldn't tell 
enough people. It took him two seconds to text <laughs> all of us. But here it is, Eric Adams getting rid of the rats, and it won't be Curtis Sliwa. This is cut number seven. Hiring our new red czar, and it won't be Curtis Sliwa. <laughs> yeah. It'll be just the beginning of a new era and delivering the best in public service and public spaces. Three more, then we'll get your opinion on all this. Andrew, number eight here, Eric Adams talks once again, state of the city, about crime, guns, and better days ahead for New York City. Mayor Eric Adams, Lewis, cut number eight. Our administration came into City Hall with a mission and a mandate, reducing gun violence. We've already made real progress. Shooters are down, murders are down, but that means nothing to the mother who lost their child. And we know that major crimes were down last quarter for the first time in six quarters. New Yorkers can finally see safer days ahead after several years of rising crimes. Now he's talking about getting criminals off the streets and cleaning up this city. Mayor Eric Adams Lewis, cut number nine. Today I want to outline a working people's agenda based on the four pillars that uphold a strong and sustainable society. Jobs, safety, housing, and care. These are the things that our administration is working for every day. Every New Yorker needs a good paying job. So we are investing in a new generation of apprenticeships, community hiring, and job training. Every New Yorker needs a safe and welcoming neighborhood. So we are getting New York City's most wanted off our streets and investing millions to make our city cleaner and greener. And in this last one, he does talk about specific numbers of homes in the housing department. Finally, from the state of the city yesterday, this is Mayor Eric Adams Lewis, cut number 10. Every New Yorker needs an affordable place to live. Well, he goes on to say there, I'm not sure what happened. There we go. Thank you homes across all five boroughs. Thank you. And every one, and every one of us needs care, not just in crisis, but throughout our lives. That's why we are expanding the social safety net, making it easier to access public benefits and health care, no matter who you are or where you live. All right, Andrew, you know a bit about uh, being mayor of New York City. Your father, Rudy, who will join us at 9.05 this morning, is not just the greatest mayor in New York City history, but my opinion, the greatest mayor in the history of that office in any city across our great country. What did you think of Eric Adams' state of the city? A lot of big promises. Uh, look, he's at his best when he's behind a microphone, and he's making these promises. The big question is, Will these promises actually come to fruition in 2023? Fair. Or will they land empty like they did in 2022? Sid, let me first off congratulate you on repeatedly landing the mayor as an interview here at WABC. <laughs> I think that – no, no, I mean that. I, I, I Look – I think. Well, what I will say this. Uh, thank you for saying that. And it's Bill, true. Bill De Blasio I, I, would never, ever, ever do that. Eric Adams is all too willing to do I, it. I, and I think that's important. I think it's very important that there is this dialogue back and forth from somebody with a conservative perspective and the mayor. Uh, and the truth is, let me start by giving the mayor a compliment. Right? Murder is down eleven percent from twenty twenty two to twenty twenty one. The same thing with shootings, down seventeen percent. 
The problem that I had with part of the interview, if you don't mind me critiquing oh, in terms not. of the other sure. day. And by the was, way, what you're about to say, you're not the only person with the same critique, so you're not alone. But go ahead and right. tell the audience what it was. So I looked at the comp stat numbers, right, from 2022 over 2021. Now, maybe Mayor Adams' team gave you a week in the year of 2022 versus a week in the year of 2021. But let's look at the whole year because that's how we know if New Yorkers are actually safer or not. The numbers show that violent crime was up in 2022, Eric Adams' first year, 23%. Rapes up 13%. Transit crimes up 30%. Grand larceny, 34%. Felony assaults up 17%. Hate crimes up 35%. So to me, I look, look. I don't like the mayor in the sense that he calls my father racist. Of course, I'm not going to like the guy. So I come in with a bias. But this is where our bias of you having a good relationship with the mayor, of me having that bias of not liking the fact that he's calling my father, somebody I love, a racist. We have to cut through that with the numbers. And the numbers have showed that in year one of Mayor Adams, New York is not a safer place. You are more likely to be the victim of violent crime in New York City in 2022 New York Then in 2021, let's see if in 2023 he can get violent crime down double digits. The numbers are going to dictate it, not the narrative on all this. And the numbers so far has shown that the first year of Mayor Eric Adams, in my opinion, and by the numbers, has not been successful. Also, he mentioned the customer satisfaction survey with you. I don't know who he was saying Uh, who's satisfied. Maybe the rats. The rats uh, were happy. I got flashed by three rats actually today (laughs) on the train. They looked very happy. It was like Mardi Gras down there. I I don't have a copy. Like Curtis Sliwa texted me in two seconds. He goes, I want a copy of that survey, which, by the way, if I had it, I wouldn't give it to Curtis anyway because he's such a pain in the (laughs) ass. But I don't have a copy of that survey. I don't know, to your point, whether it even exists. Yeah. And look, just so you know, I've known your father a long time, not as long as you, and I love your father, and your father loves me. There's no question about that. And I was the one who told your father, me, about Eric Adams' you comments. You yes. Did. I was the one who said, just so you know, Rudy, Eric Adams gave David Dinkins credit, and in doing that, said that your tactics, broken windows, all your different police tactics were racist. I was the one who said it. I've never, ever, ever been okay with that. I sat down with uh, Eric Adams the first time we had dinner. We've had dinner many times mm-hmm. now. But the first time in Brooklyn at Michael's, and I said, you shouldn't do that. First of all, it's not true. And he, he, he kind of apologized. Now, the real apology needs to go to your father, right. not Sid Rosenberg. I get that. But he certainly he certainly acted as if... That was an unfortunate moment in his mayoral history. But just so you know, I'm upset about it, too. Yeah. And I like Eric, but I'm upset about it, too. And and here's why it really grinds my gears, because this narrative has come out of the left. And unfortunately, you get Democratic politicians that repeat this. But there's nobody who has done more in the history of New York City ever since Hudson sailed down that river, that Hudson River that's now known as it's just a little bit west of where we're sitting right now. There's nobody that did more to actually help black New Yorkers than Rudy Giuliani. If you look at the numbers under David Dinkins, every single year, over 2,000 murders a year, peaked at 2,200 murders a year. Under Rudy Giuliani, those numbers went down to 1,500 murders a year, to 1,100 murders a year, to 700 murders a year, to 600 murders a year. You're talking about, by the statistics, over 1,000 African-American New Yorkers every single year that have their lives because of Rudy Giuliani's policies. Some might call it aggressive policing policies. But the truth is, he was going after the criminals that deserve to be behind bars, not that deserve to be going in this continuous 
loop that Albany ends up putting us in. And I was happy that the mayor highlighted the 1,700 repeat offenders. And I got to say, it was a good pushback by you when you said you went up to Albany last year and they basically slammed the door in your face. That's exactly I, I, what you I, I said. I did say that, So yes. let's see if in year I, two I, I said to he him, can what's get it gonna be, I said, what's going to be different this time around? Right. And let's, he said, well, I'm going to make it happen. Well, he has to make it happen. <laughs> this, this is what his mayoralhood is going to ultimately be defined by. Can he get crime under control in New York City. The numbers will dictate that. Let's see. Let's see. Very, very fair. Your father did more for African-Americans in New York than anybody, and President Trump did more for African-Americans in the nation's history, and yet both, both have been labeled racist. Somebody explain that to me. 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. A plethora of great guests today celebrating my seven-year anniversary at WABC. I've got the great Andrew Giuliani sitting here with me all day long. We've got a lot to cover, folks. You're going to love it, I promise you. From Vietnam to the Holocaust to New York City to Donald Trump to National Football League, all that and more. Sid and Andrew will be back right after this. Is sit in friends in the morning. Seventy-seven WABC. From Crazy Chris Cuomo since about 2.30 yesterday afternoon, although he did tell me the last text. He called me Kojak. That was cute. I called him Cinderella. He goes, hey, Kojak. Said, uh, this is going public tomorrow. I didn't ask him where. If he does it on his show, no one's going to hear it because no one watches Chris Cuomo on News Nation. I mean, nobody. Not even his mother, Matilda, God bless her. So um, maybe he's calling the papers. I don't know. But I did uh, do a preemptive strike. And had a long conversation with Cindy Adams yesterday, oh, man. who, of course, is on our station every Sunday. Now, Cindy does not have a column today. She's back in the New York Post on Monday. But she's got every text message between me and Cuomo, including his initial threat. He's uh, trying to say that I said with Bo Deedle on the air yesterday, I'm going to jump him. Now, you know me a while now. <laughs> yeah. Could you ever hear Sid Rosenberg say, I'm going to jump somebody? I mean, that's not even in my vernacular. Who talks like that? Who says I'm going to jump him? So this idiot is contending that's the case. Sounds like something Fredo would say, but sounds like something Fredo from The Godfather would (laughs) say, to be honest. Not that I'm calling him that. I'm just saying it's something something Fredo from The Godfather. And we've had this back and forth now for three days. And he's a psycho. He goes, he'll say, you know, I have no animus towards you, and you're actually great at what you do. He said, yes, you're great at what you do. He goes, but I need to expose you as a tough guy, because you're not. And at no point during these three days have I referred to him as Fredo. Not once. Right. Because I've remained somewhat respectful, although I made it very, very clear. You're not intimidating me. I don't care. I've been to jails and rehabs and, and dealt with guys a lot tougher than you, Chris. 
So I've not gone there yet. Right. But we'll see what happens. He claims today at some point it's going to go public, and he wants to fight me in the ring barefisted. No bare, gloves. Barefisted. Barefisted. This guy's nuts. He said to me, have your boss, John Katsimatidis, put up a million dollars. We will donate the money. He's putting to- up the million on his side, though. Where's that coming from? Is that dark money or what's he, going he, on? He should here? ask his brother who stole that $5, five million for that million ridiculous dollars. book. Yeah, exactly. And whoever wins the fight, they get the million for their charity. Now, listen to me. I'm not fighting. I did this 25 years ago with Bernard. It was right. a lot of fun. I'm going to be 56 years old. I've got two kids. What kind of idiot wants a, a fight in the ring? I mean, the days of cra- uh, you know, crazy cabbie and stuttering John Howard Stern, that was a long time ago. But he's so desperate so desperate to be relevant, Mr. Irrelevant. And who does he attach himself to? The number one guy in New York, me. But I ain't going to play the game. So we'll see where this goes with Cuomo and Rosenberg. Right off the bat, he is a psycho. Well, I mean, he's nuts. Well, I love that Cindy Adams is the Mills Lane in the yes. middle of all this yes. right here. She's the perfect person well, she's to be waiting. coming in between the two of you and, over and here. And she's waiting for three days. She's hoping nothing comes out before because yeah. she'll have the exclusive. If something does come out before, then I'll give her the latest. So keep your eye out for that. Rosenberg and Cuomo coming to a theater near you. Frank Morano, I love Frank Morano. He does a tremendous job. Other side of midnight, he does the best overnight show in New York City. It's not even close. And I guess for some reason, the topic of conversation came up last night that, you know, he works alone, obviously. But if you had to take on a partner, mm-hmm. who would you take? There's a lot of choices here. Right, we've got a lot of hosts. So, Morano, radio or sexually? Radio. Oh, okay. oh good question. Yeah, because I that's that's the one thing I wasn't clear about. And if I could get an answer to that, then I'd really know where to go with this conversation. <laughs> I think I'd probably work in both of those cases. Oh, maybe. But, <laughs> <laughs> so they asked Frank if you had to take on a partner, right. who would you choose? And uh, about five hours ago, this was Frank Morano's response. Sid has a radio broadcaster's mind, right? Uh, And, you know, I don't know that people have an appreciation for how good Sid Rosenberg is on the radio. No, Be- and I, and no, no, uh, no disrespect to Dominic, who's a, like I said, a close friend and knows more about politics. He's forgotten Why? more about politics than I'll ever know. Why? But, um, but in the case of Sid, right, he's shown an ability to work with a partner multiple times successfully. Right, uh, Dominic, I've never heard on the radio. I mean, I've heard him filling in with a partner, but never doing a daily show with a partner. So I I feel that Sid knows that sometimes a partnership is the the total is greater than the sum of his parts. And I don't know that people have an appreciation for how many different skills of being on the radio Sid has mastered. He um, is a brilliant storyteller. The guy is such a colorful character. The guy, and I mean that literally, the guy is as tan or as red, depending on the day, as you can be. And, insane. and he just leads such an interesting life um, because, it, you know, he, he just uh, following him around for a day. That's a reality show. Well, we got the answer to our question. He was talking about you being a sexual partner and <laughs> not a radio host. It's pretty really was. It was very, very nice. Thank you, Frank. I, I always say there's, you know, there's a lot of folks on the radio in New York. There's about five that are really good. About five. And uh, Frank is one of those yeah, guys. Yeah, Frank is great. Yeah, I'm he not really going to tell you who the rest of uh, Curtis is one of those guys. No doubt. He's a little bit of a psycho, and he's, you know, he's got that uh, crazy shtick. But I love him, 
and he's an icon and a legend, and he'll be coming up at 7.05. So think, those are two right there. Yeah. I think yeah. Curtis, though, is back there. He's got nothing to talk about today. That's the problem. <laughs> First time. He's got nothing to talk about. He's got nothing. He's back there. He doesn't know what to think. Yeah, he's got the uh, the Eric Adams stuff ready to go, the Chris Cuomo stuff ready to go. So we'll talk to the great Curtis Sliwa coming up at 7.05. One more quick thing before I get to the clip of the day, and then, of course, Rabbi Joe Potashnik on this Holocaust Remembrance Day. I Lee Zeldin on a couple of weeks ago. Lee will be back on Monday because you folks don't know this, but Lee Zeldin and my friend Andrew Giuliani share a birthday, and it's coming up on Monday. Yeah. So Andrew's going to sit in again with me, and both he and Lee will be on to celebrate their birthdays. So I spoke to Lee a couple of weeks ago when he was considering the RNC position. He called me back, and he said, I got to tell you, I can't get it. This thing is rigged. Ronna McDaniel is never leaving. Mm-hmm. Now it turns out that may not be the case. And yesterday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis talked about Ronna yeah. and the RNC chair, and he said, I want somebody new. Here it is, Ron DeSantis on the RNC chair. Right now, the RNC is meeting in Dana Point, California. And there are some questions of who should lead the RNC and whether it should be Rana for a fourth term or go a different direction with Harmeet Dillon. What are your thoughts on this? Well, we've had three substandard election cycles in a row, 18, 20, and 22. And I would say of all three of those, 22 was probably the worst given the, the political environment of a very unpopular president and Biden. Huge majorities of the people think the country's going in the wrong direction. That is an environment that's tailor-made to make big gains in the House and the Senate and state, house, state houses all across the country, and yet that didn't happen. And in fact, we even lost ground in the U.S. Senate. And so, you know, I think we need uh, a change. I think we need to get some new blood in the RNC. Uh, I like what Harmeet Dillon has said about getting the RNC out of D.C. Why would you want to have your headquarters in the most Democrat city in America? It's more Democrat than San Francisco is. So I think you get it in real parts of the country. You attract people who want to who want to live in those parts of the country, not D.C. insiders. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, why would the RNC be in D.C.? I mean, you you understand why, because you have all the politicians that are going there, so it's a place to meet, so they obviously need to have a presence in there. But in terms of the heartbeat of it, it should be out of the swamp. I can tell you because it infects people. I've seen this time and time again. I saw this with people in the Trump administration. Look, Ronna McDaniel is the head coach who has had three losing seasons in a row, as DeSantis highlighted, 2018, the midterms where Republicans got crushed. 2020, which actually, to be honest, even though we lost the presidency, which we certainly have our questions about, uh, there were actually some decent jobs in the House. I would relate that actually to Trump being on the top of the ticket. But 2022 was a massive disappointment to just barely pull off the House, uh, to actually lose ground, as DeSantis said, in the Senate there. Harmie Dillon, I think, has some new ideas on this. And like I said... When a football coach loses for three consecutive seasons, uh, time to get a new coach in there. That's Ronna McDaniel, and Harmie Dillon seems to be the solution to that. All right, Andrew Traffic and uh, the Rabbi Joe Potasnik talking about Holocaust Remembrance Day coming up next. Right now it's time for the 77 WABC minicast clip of the day. Get the whole story in under 10 New York minutes. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Today's minicast is from our dear friend John Katsimatidis, his great show, 5 p.m. every weekday here on this station, Cats at Night. Here he's talking with Kathy Wild, CEO of the Partnership of New York City, about how New Yorkers are coming back to work, but we need more. What do you think the priorities of the partnership now that everybody's back, but in some ways we're not back? 
Correct. Things are back, but they're different, I would say. Who's not back are the remote workers. We are just wrapping up our latest survey. Every quarter, we're doing a survey of how many office workers, Manhattan office workers, are back. And it looks like the number is going to be about 55% of on, on the average weekday that office workers are back. But most employers are telling us that they think hybrid work will continue through 2023. I've been hearing a lot about Lang Insurance. They sell luxury home insurance to high net worth individuals in all 50 states. Call Kevin Lang at Lang Insurance. Call 866-964-4434. He's an expert in reviewing your current coverage to save you money, leaving you with your current insurance company or moving you to a less expensive one. Kevin speaks with every new client. Your call, they quote, you save. That's 866 866- 964-4434 or visit langins.com Sit in friends in the morning 77 WABC Music more than this at 6:43 on your Friday morning. Number one Nielsen-rated news talk show in New York City, self-proclaimed best talk show anywhere in America. That's me. That's us. Sitting friends in the morning on Talk Radio 77 WABC. My good buddy Andrew Giuliani sitting in today, and a plethora of great guests discussing a variety of topics. Today happens to be Holocaust Remembrance Day, 78 years ago today, back in 1945. Auschwitz liberated, marking the end of World War II. That's the good news. The bad news is anti-Semitism on the rise. I'm only two days removed from having Dove Heikend on this show, who yesterday, outside of Manhattan Criminal Court, because this Alvin Bragg is a racist and an anti-Semite, the Manhattan DA, lowlife, he uh, rallied a bunch of folks together yesterday because of what happened to Joey Borgen mm-hmm. way back when. So with that said, uh, here he is, one of the two great hosts every Sunday morning, right before the Cats Roundtable, 7 a.m. every Sunday, the Rev and the Rabbi, our dear friend, Rabbi Joe Potashnik, Rabbi it's Sid and Andrew Giuliani. Good Shabbos. How are you, buddy? Thank you so much, and uh, it's a great pleasure and an honor to be with the two of you. I've come to know Andrew over the years. Uh, I've known his dad for more than 30 years, Uh, so... Thank you for the invitation. Look You're welcome. To the discussion. You're welcome. Well, it's an important discussion because, you know, you look back at what happened 78 years ago and uh, never again, right? That was based never again, never again. And almost every day in the streets here in New York, Joe, I'm not talking yeah. about Clarksville, Tennessee, or Lacrosse, Wisconsin, in the streets of New York City, Jews are being attacked and pummeled and it's not getting any better. So what happened 78 years ago, you thought never again. Well, 
it is, uh, it's an ugly time for the Jewish people here in New York City. Sid and Andrew, I remember Jeffrey Meyer, who's the rabbi of Tree of Life in Pittsburgh, following the uh, horrific shooting, the slaughter in the sanctuary. He said the following. He said, when we said never again years ago, did we put an exclamation mark after it or a question mark after it? And here wow. we are. That's interesting. You yeah. said, right? 76 yeah. years after, and we're still talking about anti-Semitism. So it's a sad commentary that the horrors of the past uh, still haunt us today. Uh, we should not have to talk about this, but we do, because as you say, it's, it's out there. Uh, you can't pick up the newspaper uh, during the week without reading some ugly attack on some innocent person simply because he or she is a Jew. It's not because anything the person did. It's because of who we are. Uh, and that that uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, disgusting uh, display has been replete in history for too long with too many people. Rabbi, how do you push back against what, what I've seen is a growing group of uh, crazy people who, who seem to uh, deny the existence of the Holocaust and, and, and the motives there? And, uh, you know, I, I was talking to sit earlier about this, but I think so much of the teachings of the Holocaust, uh, we learn uh, in terms of how we can actually teach September 11th to future generations, especially as we see, you know, there are less and less survivors by the day of the Holocaust. So important that the next generation uh, continues to learn about the significance. So how do you push back against some of this crazy, well, uh, toxic idea, if you will? Yeah. Andrew, I think one of the responses has to be that uh, anti-Semitism uh, is not simply a Jewish issue, yeah. uh, that this has to be fought by people of all different faiths. You and I have been together uh, in St. Patrick's Cathedral. Yeah. You're a very funny uh, guy, by the way, Rabbi Potasnik. I just have to tell you, you know, the, for yeah, all those so, who, don't, who don't know, just one of, the, one of the greatest and funniest guys in the world. Yeah. Well, but the reason I'm there is because of the relationship that I've shared over the years with Cardinal Dolan and his predecessors. Uh, because he has reminded us, uh, as others have, that we need to stand together. It's not about me. It's about we. Yeah. And if if we're going to make any kind of dent on this uh, daily episode, uh, then this has to be standing in solidarity, and it has to be mandatory education in schools. But the other thing I would add, and the sad part of this, Andrew and Sid, is that educated people are often anti-Semites. You look back at the Holocaust, who built those camps? Engineers, who passed those Nuremberg laws? Lawyers, who, in, uh, who enforced them? You know, people who had educational degrees, there were jurists sitting on the bench who are highly educated. So education can make you smart, but it doesn't make you moral. So we need to have an education that has a lesson in history, but also a lesson in morality. So people understand that I can't just read about it. I have to do something to make sure it doesn't happen again. 78 years ago today, they liberated Auschwitz. In fact, I'm looking at this idiot, Joe Scarborough, live at the concentration camp. He's, that's a good job out of Joe, actually. And uh, here we are talking to Rabbi Joe Potashnik, half of that great Reverend the Rabbi combination, 7 a.m. every Sunday morning here on WABC. You know, uh, when I was a kid growing up, Rabbi, to be honest, and I'm a very honest guy, Italians wouldn't live with blacks I mean, I remember those kids who went to New Park Pizza in Howard Beach. They chased them across the boat park with baseball bats and killed them. Right, I remember. Irish wouldn't live with the blacks. Nobody wanted to live with the blacks except for the Jews. We lived with the blacks. There were no issues. 
Then, of course, you had the whole Yonko, Rosenbaum, Al Sharpton, Crown Heights issue, which has never gone away, has never gone away. And all of a sudden now, the overwhelming majority, I mean 98% of attacks on Jewish people, they're not white supremacists, they're not skinheads, they're not Nazis, they're blacks. When did it happen that the one community, the Jewish people, who had no issue living with the black people, when did it happen that now they hate us? You know, sir, that's an excellent question. I mean, here in New York, we've seen uh, that perpetrators of crimes uh, very often are young African-American kids. Uh, They're not seniors who are doing this. You know, and you say to yourself, remember the names uh, Schwerner, Cheney, and Goodman? Well, two out of three were Jewish. Yep. And they gave their lives for the civil rights struggle. And here we are being attacked. Uh, by people for whom we fought. So it is uh, it is disgraceful. Uh, I, Reverend Bernard and I have had several discussions about it. I think the first thing is we got to talk about it. We can't simply generalize. You know, I often find it's easy to condemn anti-Semitism. That's not a big deal. But it takes a lot more courage to condemn the anti-Semites. You have to go after people and say exactly what it is. Because otherwise, we're never going to make any changes unless we look at exactly who is doing this. Uh, and we got to get into the schools. We got look. Social media has played an important, a sad uh, but important role here uh, in changing people's minds or even uh, molding people's thoughts. Uh, look what they read. There's no fact checking. You can say anything and everything on the internet and get away with it. I remember Elie Wiesel said years ago, "The tragedy of the Holocaust was you can get away with it." And uh, we just cannot remain silent. We don't remain silent, but it's not enough just to just to yell. We got to do something. We got to get to these young people. We got to make sure they get an education that's moral, that's educational, it's inf- informational. Uh, but it requires all of us together. It can't just be Jews yelling about it. Absolutely, Rabbi. Any personal stories with Holocaust survivors you'd like to share? Sure. You're talking to a child of survivors. My parents lost five children. Oh, wow. From their first marriage. I didn't know that, Rabbi. I'm the product of their second marriage. I'm the only child. And I grew up in a home uh, looking at pictures, pictures of these young kids. And they wouldn't talk about it because they didn't want to impose the sadness. But, you know, in a private area of the house, they had these pictures. And I always felt I have a responsibility. The word for love in Hebrew, chiba, uh, is the same root as the word for chova that means responsibility. Is that right? I thought the word for love in Hebrew was ohave. Yeah, but there's another. Well, ohave, the, base, the basis of that, the root of that is chiva. You know, Sid, you did go to Hebrew school. <laughs> You're I, impressed. I, I, was, I, was listen, I, to find, I was trying to find your uh, listen, diploma. I had Rabbi, a lot of difficulty. First of all, first of all, let me tell you something. I, I, won the bro- classified. I won the Brochus B way back when. I could even spell it, okay, if, if, if you really want me to. I can spell it. But, uh, no, I, I'm interested in actually how these words come about. But, yeah, finish your point. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So the word for love, ohave, or the, the noun, the ohave is a verb. Chiba uh, is the noun. It means responsibility also, because when you love someone, as you know, um, you have a responsibility to that person. So I grew up in a home where I felt I have a responsibility to those five kids. I got to do something to perpetuate their memory in a meaningful way. Uh, that's why I enter this profession. That's why I speak out as I do, as others do. Uh, you always find children of survivors uh, are at the forefront of reminding the world that we cannot, we cannot uh, sit back and uh, say nothing. Because silence 
you know, people say silence is golden. No, it's not. <laughs> no, not in this case. In the Bible, is a, is, silence is a golden calf. You really look at the Bible. Yeah. Uh, when people do nothing, others can do something. I believe it's about uh, Aleph, Heish, Vav. Or am I missing something? I don't know. Yeah. Impressed? No, I... I, as I said, I couldn't access your, your diploma because it was classified. classified. Uh, I, but uh, you're right. Very proud of you. Thank you, Rob. I, I, I did actually graduate from a yeshiva. It's now defunct. It was on Church Avenue and East 5th Street in Brooklyn, New York, Solomon Schechter. You went through there on a football scholarship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we had a mean football team. We broke out the tzitzis on a Friday. Nobody wanted yeah. to mess with us. <laughs> hey, Rabbi Joe, thank you so much for sharing these uh, great you. memories. Listen, thank you. Thank you for being a proud Jew, Andrew, a proud thank Christian, because standing together, we can make a difference. Rabbi, yeah, thank you. Thank you. You One are the, the absolute man. The Rev and the Rabbi. That's our friend Rabbi Joe Potashnik teams up with A.R. Bernard. 7 a.m. every Sunday morning before the great Cats Roundtable. 8 a.m. on this Holocaust Remembrance Day. 78 years ago today, liberating Auschwitz in Germany and bringing an end to World War II. Still a lot more to come, folks, including Curtis Sliwa coming up next hour. Lester Chang, Colonel Jack Jacobs. Joseph Takapina, Rudy Giuliani, and we'll talk football with Mike Tadino. Keep it right here. Sit in an engine on Talk Radio 77 WABC. is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. This happened once before. I came to your door. No reply. Wrapping up our number one epic program today, as it is most days. So um, I met this guy, Bob Cornicelli, at the Yankee game months and months ago with Jen Delandro, my Dolce Aesthetics Botox girl. Me and Danielle and Jimmy Leyritz and Sean Landetta, host of us. Bob was group. running. Pretty good crowd. Yeah, Bob was running for uh, office on Long Island, uh, war hero. Turns out uh, he was running against Garbarino, actually. He didn't win, but um, he was on this show a couple of times. I really love the guy, and he's a a huge fan. He starts Instagramming me most mornings before 4.30 a.m., and he's got a big event coming up, right, Drew? He's a great guy. He's got uh, the Veterans Recovery Coalition. People can find out more at veteranrecoverycoalition.com. Dot com on February 11th at 11 a.m. in Miller Place, and uh, you can meet Bob Cornichelli and others in Miller Place. Absolutely, the restaurant? Uh, no, in Miller Place, the town, Tuscany Gourmet Market. I oh, guess okay, is where it is right there. Because I believe there's a restaurant that Anthony Capitola owns. My wife works with. Is it in Miller Place, Miller New Place. York? Miller Place, well, it's Long Miller Island. Place, it's in Nassau yeah, County. Yeah, so that's well, Miller Place is in Suffolk County, if oh, I'm not okay. mistaken. Okay. I think it's on the North Shore. Maybe you're Suffolk right. County. Maybe you're right. Yeah, I get but, confused. I don't know. But, yeah, I never that's go to Long Island. I mean, Danielle's yeah. worked in Great Neck. She's well, back in Garden City, but I never you, go. You say you get confused, but you're the only person that can go and talk about the Hebrew word for love, <laughs> and 30 seconds later, start yelling and screaming about Brock Purdy, which that's we got to do later. Uh, that's a lot of range. We will talk some NFL later. Those two big games coming up on Sunday, and I can promise you that. And uh, as we talked about all morning long, a boatload of great guests on this Friday morning with me, Sid Rosenberg, and him, Andrew Giuliani, and of course our great crew. Keep it right here, Friday morning. We'll be back after Deb with the news. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends.
Van Halen running with the devil. Yesterday was actually the late, great Eddie Van Halen's birthday because he died a couple of years ago. You know, it's funny. Of all the things we do on this show, great interviews and all the stuff we do, I'm always constantly being complimented on the musical selections, which we share, me and Lou Rafino. I remember when Imus used to ask his listeners, what are your five favorite songs? And anytime we'd put them on, he would pick one of those five songs to introduce the guest. So I just asked the great Curtis Sliwa, 12, 15 to 1 every weekday, all weekend long, a legitimate legend icon, all those things. I said, what song do you want? And he chose that one, Running with the Devil, which is a great song by Van Halen. But, of course, he's going to find a way to attach the satanic title no, to me. No, no, I'm well, going to say Eddie Van Halen. He was God, remember? A uh, guy like Andrew Giuliani, the ultimate white boy playing hacky sack and air <laughs> guitar, right? Every every white boy wanted to be Eddie Van Halen. Well, not just because of the rock and roll, but let's not forget, he married a very young and gorgeous Valerie Bertinelli from One Day at a Time. At, at the risk of cutting you off on your own show, Sid, you said radio legend, you said icon, but what you didn't say is Ratsar, because he'll never be the Ratsar. <laughs> yeah. That's the one thing uh, you didn't uh, say. I know, you were so excited. You want to play that quickly, uh, Lewis? Uh, Eric Adams, I believe it's cut number... Let's get to that right off the bat before you get to the Chris Cuomo stuff. Cut number is seven. It took Curtis about 15 seconds to text me <laughs> to tell me that my friend the mayor mentioned Curtis in the State of the City speech. Cut number seven, Eric Adams does, unprovoked, bring up the great Curtis Sliwa. Hiring our new Red Czar, and it won't be Curtis Sliwa. All right, stop it right we'll there. Just- so it ain't going to be you. Uh, you're, you're like, he's kind of kidding, but you're really upset about that. You're- well, let's face it. What has he done? <laughs> I mean, there were rats everywhere. I'm going over to the Chelsea projects where the Wayans brothers grew up, you know, in Living Color, yep, yep. Fly Girls. There's rats everywhere there. The rats are so big, he's done nothing. He's got rats on his own block in Brooklyn. We had to go and clean up the block, right? Garbage everywhere, rats everywhere. And then he tells me, hey, get the F off my property, right? What an ungrateful SOB. Come on. <laughs> Come on. You know, it wasn't as if you were there to really help him. You were making a mockery of the whole thing. No, no, no. no. You tried to embarrass my friend, the mayor. Come, he wasn't going to take that Come from on. You. you guys ride the subways, right? Yeah, it was Tell all this me. morning. It's you, you hear about the customer service uh, that is getting better and better oh, by the, su- by the survey. Two, yeah. You know, let's face it. Two-stop Sid, we call it, who gets his NYPD escort from wherever he's staying to the studio back to wherever he's staying from the studio you're not even kidding like the other day i said i took the train a quarter to five i did it again this morning the sixth train it is two stops 33rd street to 51st street and i saw four cops going home every day about 11 30 in the morning 42nd street i see six to eight cops and you were dead serious. Yeah, you're that's like, your security. You think the mayor provides me Absolutely. with a Absolutely. Are you nuts? You're his propaganda minister, right? <laughs> you're the most important person he has. You're a cracker who actually repeats everything he says. By the way, this Sunday will be the 50th year, right? 50th year we will set an all-time record of not having any snow. And that's because Eric Adams hates white people. When those snowflakes on Wednesday were falling, right, they hit the ground in terrain. Because he hates white people. You know he hates those So even crackers. the white snow is scared? Is exactly. that what you're saying? It turns to rain. Imagine this is the only time in 50 years we've never had snow by Sunday. And you really believe that that goes back to Mayor Eric Adams? Of course. The snowflakes are white. <laughs> you say, man, much. we got to dissipate. This guy hates crackers. Wait a second. Uh, my dear friends, two of them, they love you. 
Frank and Anthony Caron. Oh, Last I checked, they're white. They're white. They love the mayor. I'm white. The mayor loves me. Hey, well, look. you're very tan, I would say. You're not, you're <laughs> I not that tan, white. Yes, you know. yes. Let's face it. You know, you go. You call the mayor a hey, my bro. What I the do. hell is this? My bro. No, no, it's funny stuff. you say that. No, because look, look. It's funny you say that because I want you to read this just uh, to emphasize Curtis's point. This was a text sent to me at exactly my bro. Ten o one p.m. last night. What does it say? The very bottom text. Oh, let's see. Uh, good job today, brother. My brother. <laughs> <laughs> that was ten o'clock last Excuse night. Me. The mayor's response. You, my you are the Caucasian persuasion. You are the snow bro. You are not a brother. I'm not. No. Check your melanin at the door. Even though you go to the tanning salon, you will never be now, a brother. Well, hold on a second. I'm much closer to a brother than you are. Or you know why? I am married, and you both know Danielle very well. Gorgeous, gorgeous girl. She is a product. Of intermarriage. Her father was legitimately black. So my wife and my kids are part black. Don't tell me I'm not a brother. Have you ever married a black woman? Your mother mother feels like she got impaled with a menorah. You're an Ashkenazi. (laughs) Now you want to be a Sephardic, right? All of a sudden he's saying his complexion. What is wrong with you? And by the way, speaking of that, because I'm more black than you based on that definition. My first wife was black. So let's go through this partner routine where Frank Morano was kissing you on both cheeks of your tokens. You said, Frank Morano, the number one overnight host. Yes. Excuse me, did you I, look at the ratings? I blew past them a long time but ago. But you're on the weekend. Doesn't matter. You know the ratings for me are higher than they are for Frank. Okay, okay. So here's what I'll do for you because I did mention you right after and say those are the two most talented guys we've got here. So if it makes you happier, because it's fair, I'll put you number one and Frank number two. And number two, Frank yeah. said, oh, Sid is the best in working with partners. Right. I've had ten radio partners, <laughs> and I've had five wives. You want to match me on that? This is like five card draw poker. You want to match me no, on no, that? No, but, but here's the difference. Your ten radio partners, including Ron Kuby, all hate your guts, and every one of your wives you've divorced. I have the same wife for 31 years. My last partner died loving me. That's the difference. Everybody hates you when it's over. Wives and partners, nobody hates me. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me, Sid Rosenberg. Have you looked at your thread lately? <laughs> A lot of your listeners are sellouts. Oh, Come on, you know that, Sid. And by the way, uh, let's bring up this uh, whole idea of you and Fredo, Chris Cuomo. Right. Now, were you the first one to dub him Fredo? Was that yes. true? You were the very, very first one. Very, very first one. And, in fact, I had him in an interview uh, when I was at AM 970, uh, where I'll never get back four years that I lost in my <laughs> life over there. They, like four people listening to that station. So I had uh, Fredo on, Chris Cuomo, and I'm calling him all through the interview. You hear him laughing. I'm calling him Fredo. And he's laughing. I cut. Look, do you have the cut? Yeah, you should have the cut. here. I gotta find it. Oh my god! I want to play it now. Now, did you set it up by saying anything, or you just called him Fredo out of the blue? Did you say, you know, it's Cuomo Nostra? I call them Cuomo Nostra. I like that. I like that's brilliant. Like Cuomo Nostra, like right? You know, because they object. uh, They even they won't acknowledge organized crime, right? Cuomo Nostra. Uh, and then, obviously, I called him Fredo, and he was laughing at that. Now, what do you think about this bare-knuckle boxing match between Sid and... Oh, come on. What do you come think? on. He's a pretty boy. Fredo? He lives out, what, in Southampton there? 
Are you kidding? <laughs> these guys are not tough guys. <laughs> you what got these guys. You pluralize that. That means oh, me well, and Chris. Well, no, no. Because, you know, Andrew. <laughs> Andrew Evilize Como, King Como the second, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Como, King Como the first. <laughs> I, I'd be more than happy we could have like a double header. I'll get in with Andrew because he's bigger than Chris and right. I'm bigger than you, Sid. Right. And the only thing is, um, Andrew would have to take those nipple rings out. Oh, you know, with the, the Como you go right sexuals. That's the first move. Exactly. Right Hit him right there. Yeah. Bang. You know who's yeah. in the middle of this whole mess is Bo Deedle. I didn't realize that Bo talked to Chris, too. So I'm on the phone yesterday with Bo Deedle and Mike Ruggiero and Chris Cuomo. Bo contends Chris is a very, very tough guy. But let's go all the way back to way back when. I didn't realize this till yesterday that it was, in fact, the great Curtis Sliwa yep. who initially dubbed Chris Cuomo Fredo. Let's play that audio, Lewis. Boy, see, I've dubbed it La Cuomo Nostra. Uh, that there is a there is a group of people of politicos who always hint that they might run but don't necessarily plunge all the way, and they are members of La Cuoma Nostra. So who am I then, Fredo? Yes, exactly. So you better be careful that they that your brother Andrew doesn't kiss you on both cheeks, and then all of a sudden they take you out into the middle of the lake, and then where's Chris? He kisses me plenty, but because he's a great big brother, I think that in fairness. Uh, to Andrew and really anybody who comes from a family of service, I think you got to judge everybody individually. Wow, he actually was he the one it. who brought up Fredo. Yeah, Chris. And so, by the way, uh, you, Andrew, you have to change your first name because <laughs> so many times time I've time said uh, Andrew Cuomo. Oh, Andrew Julie, you got to change your first name. <laughs> you know, that's what I said during debates. I said, "Hey, look, the truth is, how is it being in the Republican field with a name like Andrew?" And they ask, think, it, think of this, think you know? of this. Remember he went to Shelter Island with all those hipsters and millennials and this guy called him Fredo and he oh, yeah. knocked you. Meantime, you know, I'm the tough guy, right? He voluntarily calls himself Fredo and laughs about it as I call La Cuomo Nostra. I mean, so you see, he's not a tough guy. No, he's also stupid. <laughs> uh, and, and again, during this whole text fight, which has now lasted three days, he goes in and out. Like at one point he said to me, you're really great at what you do. And then he'll curse me out, and then he'll, he'll say that I threatened him, which, of course, I've never done. I don't care, but I've never done that. So long story short, I gave the whole story and every text message to our dear friend Cindy Adams because uh, Cuomo was threatening last night to take this to the press to set up this major fight. And I said, you may want to be careful. I've got every text, which includes right at the very beginning of a conversation, you saying to me, you're lucky I don't grab you by your neck because of what you said about my brother. And I said, I don't apologize. I'll say it again. Your brother's an effing disgrace, and that's just the way it is. So he seems to think that for some reason that I threatened him when I've got text messages, which now Cindy Adams has. Get I warned you. you. First of all, the Cuomo's never do their dirty work, right? So who does it? They hide behind Joe Pococo. He just finished doing six years in federal prison. Is Joe he part of that whole Buffalo Billions thing? He, yes, yep. he is uh, the leg breaker. He is the wartime consulier. He just did six years in federal prison. He swings a mean Louisville slugger with Rocky <laughs> Calavito's autograph on it. And so he, he'll roll up in his muscle car, his GTO, he'll open the trunk, and he'll say to you, uh, which way do you prefer to go? Which, which Louisville slugger? Should I knock your head off your shoulders and then make your kneecaps sing and ring like it was a slot machine in Atlantic Come City? Come on.
This guy's Still? a thug, yes. No, I know he's a thug. In fact, why is he in jail and not in? Well, let me tell you, he just got out of jail, and they're all at the Como compound in Southampton stirring the marinara sauce, and they've hit the mattresses. <laughs> Come on, don't you understand? <laughs> this is like Michael Corleone and Andrew really, Cuomo. It really is, right? There's no doubt. So that's so, why Chris Cuomo talks like such a tough guy, because he actually fancies himself as Sonny. Yeah, it's sunny, hothead. It's yeah. sunny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on, Sid. Come on, come on, come on, Sid. And you know what? We could set him up. You know, they don't have that toll booth any longer at Jones yeah, Beach, but right. we could set him up, Sid. I'll lure him in there. No, listen, I've decided. Wait, wait a second. Hold on a second. The Gemini yeah. Lounge is coming out, that and is. all those guys that I grew up with would easily have said, you're damn right, we'll show up there with our Tommy guns and we'll take them out. <laughs> they're all dead, all those guys, and uh, we will do well, that screening. Well, they're not all dead. Some of them are doing triple oh. life without parole. The guys that, that I taught stickball to, right, Joey Test and Anthony Centaur, the Gemini Lounge Twins. Oh, they're still alive. Patty's dead, though, obviously. Yeah, no, they write yeah. me letters. Hey, can you write to the parole board? I said, yeah. lose lose my address, will you please? We're actually going to have the screening for that movie coming up February the 13th and in I'm New York not invited. City. I know no. all these guys, and I'm not You're invited. Not invited. No. You're invited to the red carpet premiere. Oh, Only family carpet. is invited to the screening. Oh, Only wait, wait, 80 people. Wait, wait, which family? The Gambinos or the Lucases? Because, <laughs> you know, they went back and forth, you know. Yeah, it's my friend Danny A. will join us next week to talk about the movie, but... Uh, getting back to uh, Cuomo for a second, I've decided that the more I talk about this, even though you're hilarious, this has been a great, great segment, he's getting what he wants. He's become so irrelevant, nobody watches him, that News Nation channel is really an embarrassment. He's desperate, desperate to attach himself to somebody who's a big guy listen, in this listen, city. Listen. This you, is you clear. Know, you know this. Uh, you grew up wanting to be an Italian stallion in the worst way. Yes. yes you get true. somebody like Chris Cuomo in the ring. You hit him one time in the schnoz. Uh, Italian guys, Jewish guys, you hit him in the schnoz. The, notch, the, the, the nose starts to bleed. Their beak starts to bleed. Oh, he's a mama Luke. Here we go. Matilda. Matilda. Where's Matilda? Come on. You know that, Sid. I know. I know. One shot right in the schnoz. And he'll bust open and he'll be crying like a little mama Luke that he is. So you want me to do this? You want I'll me to... tell you what. How yeah. about this? For the charity for Bernard McGurk, prostate yeah. cancer awareness. Right. He's got to yeah. get, though, somebody to put up a million bucks. Because we know John John Katsimatidis, a million bucks is like tip money for John Katsimatidis. <laughs> He's a billionaire. Well, I'm not all about that. I mean, <laughs> well, wait a second. What about all the money that his brother Andrew Evilides Cuomo got from that book? $5.1 million. Funny you say that when he texted me yesterday, have your boss, John Katz, which, by the way, he spelt it K-A-T-Z like a Jewish deli this moron. Uh, <laughs> I said, why ask Katsimatidis for a million when your brother stole $5 million writing a book about how to kill people in New York? Of course, you didn't answer that. No, no, hold on a second. He spelled it what? K A T Z? Yeah, like a Jewish devil. It's another nightmare <laughs> I have. That's one of the what? How many? Five wives? Hold on a second. Cats. That's right. Oh, God. You, you did that on purpose, Sid. You slipped me a Mickey there. That's funny. I know that. You did that on purpose, right? That oh is funny. God. By the way, he takes her on all the time. He's, he's trying to get her unelected there. He's trying to cause me a problem. And I got to vision my two kids, uh, Hunter and Carter. This is shit. Well, what are you doing in my life, Sid? <laughs> and then you're elevating the other Mama Luke, Frank Morano. Number one overnight. Oh, no, no. I'm number one overnight. Remember that, Sid. I'm number two at WABC. Way behind you. But I'm going to catch you no matter how long it takes. Two Fair of the enough. best in radio history, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you for that. Two of the best. Thank you. That is uh, the great Curtis Lee with 12.15 to 1 every day. Don't miss his great Sid's wrap-up. 12.45 every weekday afternoon. And then, of course, he does only overnights all weekend long. A legitimate 
icon, and legend. I believe one of the greatest voices in New York radio history. I do mean that. The great Curtis. Ah, Chris Cuomo, come on out, you mama Luke. <laughs> a lot more to come today, folks, including later on this hour. Lester Chang. They tried to screw him in Brooklyn. It didn't work. Plus, Colonel Jack Jacobs. Bain defense attorney Joe Tacopina. You heard of this guy, Rudy Giuliani. And we'll talk football with Mike Dodino. Keep it right here, sitting friends, in the morning on a Friday. Bill O'Reilly here, and I'm warming up. Stand by for the O'Reilly Update Morning Edition. On this Friday, you may have noticed that the Academy Award nominations were announced this week. It is also notable that few Americans cared. That's really too bad because one of the USA's great cultural contributions to the world is our film industry. Well, it used to be anyway. Gone are the days of the glamorous movie star and incredible films. Today we have superheroes blowing stuff up and dinosaurs rampaging through San Diego, frightening everybody except the homeless who are not moving from the Gaslight District no matter what. The televised Oscar show will be hosted by Jimmy Kimmel, who better watch himself or an audience member might pull a Will Smith on him. Kimmel is your essential wise guy. But he does understand the woke world in which he lives. As Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young once sang, step out of line, they'll come and take you away. That's Hollywood. Anyway, as I said, few care about politically correct Hollywood movies. Don't believe me? Okay. Last year, what film won the Oscar for Best Picture. Come on, wait, what was it? Come on, I know you remember Will Smith, but what was the Best Picture last year, 2022? CODA, C-O-D-A. Didn't see it, but I'm sure it was woke. That is the Morning O'Reilly Update. More analysis later on. Oi. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Seventy-seven WABC. Waiting, watching the clock. It's four o'clock. It's got to stop. Tell me. Tell him, Eddie Vedder, Pearl Jam at 7.30. Happy anniversary to me seven years ago today, Bernie and Sid. The Midday Show started here on Talk Radio 77 WABC, January 27th of 2016. So happy anniversary, Bernie. Hopefully listening somewhere in heaven today. So I get this text yesterday afternoon from a friend of mine. Her name is Margaret Powers. And her husband, Paul King, ran for Congress out of Bell Harbor. You may remember Paul was on all the time. It was Paul, Tom Sullivan, all those folks. 
Here's a text I got yesterday afternoon at 3.43 to be exact. Just wanted to let you know there's a video that's going to come out of the murder of a black man at the hands of black police officers in Tennessee. They say the video is going to be really bad. The police are worried about rioting across the country. I'm asking my family to be extra safe over the next 24 hours. That was yesterday. So I started seeing last night this story about Tyree Nichols. By the way, was killed like 17 days ago. But now the video is coming out. Five black officers kill a black man. He took a beating, they say, worse than Rodney King. Four of the five officers are out on bail right now. But all I kept thinking about, to be completely honest with the listening audience, is could you imagine if the officers were white? Because you can still demonize the police, which Don Lemon loves to do and Joe Miko loved to do. They'll demonize the cops. Cops kill an innocent man. But they can't involve race in this one. They can't do what they did in Minnesota, for example. With uh, who was that lowlife? George, uh, what was his name? Floyd. Yeah. They can't do that here. So all I kept thinking was, if these are white officers, they're about to set our country on fire. But the truth is, they still may do it because, again, it's another opportunity for these lowlifes to demonize the police. And these cops, every one of them, should be put in jail. I don't care if you give them the death penalty. They're guilty. Put them in jail. But another opportunity to set the country on fire. Yeah, and uh, you said it's absolutely right in terms of, uh, you know, you can only imagine if these police officers were white and what the response would be. I mean, we're seeing it right now on MSNBC. We saw it earlier on CNN. Like you said, Don Lemon is actually in Memphis covering this today. He loves this stuff. He loves it. All these liberal networks, Andrew, they love this stuff. Yeah, they do. They eat it up because Where, it goes in with the narrative that our cops Al are Sharpton the problem. Now, He'll be, Al, he's, <laughs> he's on his private jet getting to Memphis right, right now. For yeah, some he, reason, he he's not there. He's on his PJ getting there. He won't say anything because the officers are black. I, yeah. yeah, that's why. Of course, of course. Yes. Right. Yeah, right. Right. I, I bet you he still will go there because it is the police. You're right. I mean, look, he would already be there if those officers were white, oh. but you're absolutely right. Uh, look, I, I just think that this is one of these things where there's nobody who's a bigger defender of the police than me. And there's nobody who hates dirty cops or bad cops better than good cops. Yeah. I grew up with these guys. I mean, I had a detail on me when I was a kid. Uh, one of them was my confirmation sponsor. I still talk to four or five of these guys every single week, and they're the biggest guiding influence in my life. Uh, you're absolutely right, Sid. If these guys are guilty, which uh, I haven't seen the video yet, but uh, if uh, these guys are guilty, it seems like they, they're guilty. They deserve, they deserve the fullest extent of the law, of and they deserve to go to prison. D- just like because, Derek, just like Derek Savan guy. Absolutely. He, look, he murdered the guy. As much as George Floyd was a lowlife, like you said, this guy should not be uh, a hero in all these circles. But you right. step on a guy's neck for eight and a half minutes, oh, yeah. then guess what? You deserve to go to prison for life, in my opinion. Couldn't agree more. Because I will defend those good cops to the day that I die. It also means that we need to look at those few bad cops, those very, very few, and we need to make sure that we hold them accountable. Well, and that's it. But, uh, look, I don't care what profession it is. There are bad apples in every profession. Yeah. Doctors, lawyers, radio hosts, and cops. But, be- but The because- overwhelming majority, 99% of cops... Right are tremendous people, the most courageous, bravest people. Now, this was clearly not a racist attack. Black guys killed a black guy. We hold cops to a higher standard, and that's why we need to make sure that we hold those who actually do something as terrible as this uh, truly to, uh, to account, because you are right. 
I mean, 99% of our police officers, they're people who are philanthropic. They're doing things. They're not, look, they're not making a lot of money, but they're spending that and they're doing everything they can. They're spending their time off helping people, charities and all this. Uh, so uh, it's terrible when you see something like this. Uh, but See, uh, I, I don't hold them to a different standard. They go to work every day not knowing when they get home. I don't hold the president to a different standard. I don't care who he's banging, how, if, if he has 10 affairs or 20 affairs. I don't care. I want the president to make sure there's peace, prosperity. I don't hold the president to some moral standard see, like Democrats do. And I don't do it with cops either. Wh- they go to work every day not knowing if they can get home that night. That's all you need to know. When That's you, it. When you swear an oath to a constitution, whether it's the U.S. Constitution or the state constitution or the city charter, Charter, uh, I hold them to a little higher standard. Okay. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Yeah! Kick it! So it's starting to use up all the restaurants. We went to a very good place last night, me, Danielle, and Gabe. Sarah Bell's, right on the corner of 27th and Park. You ever go there? What kind of food? No, I haven't been there. Basically American cuisine, but for example, I had a seafood cob salad, which was delicious. Oh, oh my God. A great tuna tartare appetizer. And then the dessert. Ready for this? S'mores in a jar. Oh. Oh, Drew. Wow. I'm telling you, man, it was great. So we basically, now we got Wolfgang's right next door, which I maintain is a great steak. Somebody. It's good you're having the egg whites on the roll after the s'mores <laughs> in the jar right there. That's I didn't eat good. the s'mores in the jar. Oh, you didn't? Okay. I did not. Okay. And if you notice, not one M&M yet this morning. No M&M's. No M&M's. No, M&Ms. no s'mores in a jar. Yep. And um, I went to Wolfgang's twice already. They've right. got great steak. Uh, really uh, better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I'm not afraid to put them second behind um, Luger. But then somebody sent me a text yesterday, and they're right. I've only gone to the Bobby Vans once, the one by Grand Central, yep. and it was for Brian Kilmeade's Christmas lunch, mm-hmm. and John and Margot Katsimatidis, who I love dearly, they, um, they know the owners, and the owner came over, he was super nice, yeah. and I have to admit, it was a great steak. So I would say Wolfgang's is right there, yeah. Bobby Vans, Sparks, Luger is still number one, but Sarah Bell's, very good restaurant. Uh, our next guest is a guy that we came to love on this show. I've got a dear friend named Tom Sullivan. He went out in Queens. You all know his brother, Mike Sullivan, is one of my best friends, if not my best friend. And uh, Sullivan got screwed. Yep, they completely. literally took the election. He won. He yes. won. Yes, and Stacy Piper Amato, because her mother's a clerk and her father was a judge, stole the election. Cheated 1,000%. The, the definition of insider politics is what absolutely screwed Tommy Sullivan. 100% right. So at the same time that Tom was going through this, Lester Chang wins in Brooklyn, and they try to steal it from him, too. Difference is they did steal it from Tom. Thank God Lester Chang ends up winning. He's been sworn in. 49th District, parts of Bay Ridge, Bensonhurst, Sunset Park in Brooklyn. And here he is making his debut on Sid and Friends in the Morning a guy that we really like, Lester Chang. Lester, Sid Rosenberg, Andrew Giuliani, good morning. Morning, Andrew. Morning, Sid. Thank you very much for having me on board. No, you're welcome. We talked about you a lot during uh, your race and when they tried to screw you over. First of all, before we get to that, I know you were here yesterday for the Lunar New Year celebration. Hope you had a very happy New Year. Is that still going on, Lester, or is that over? It's still going on to this weekend. You can still go to Chinatown. Any city Chinatown, there will be a parade. There will be dragon dancing. It oh. lasts basically 14 days where we're still in the middle of it. Back in my old home country in Hong Kong, China, they still 
still uh, having holidays there. You see, I told you, idiots. So, like, it's one day. I'm like, no, it's not. It's 14 days. And uh, why would there be dragons and not rabbits? Isn't this the year of the rabbit? Yes, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> rabbit is one of those 12 animals that goes to Buddha that, that assists him. So that's the difference. Uh-huh. Dragon dance is nothing but uh, is a is a is a symbol of of prosperity gotcha. and power. Right. So that's the difference. By the way, if you're going to Chinatown this weekend to celebrate Lester, we had this discussion on this program just two days ago. There is one restaurant in China. Now you're Chinese, so you know more yes, than I me. Am. I think Chinese. Yes. All right, I'm telling you, the best restaurant in Chinatown by a distance is Wohop. Does Lester Chang agree? I would agree. Uh, one of several. Wohop. Wohop, I remember when I was growing up back in the 60s. That's how long ago was that? Wow. Back in the how 60s. about that? It's been around a long time. Yeah. So, Lester, uh, you get the win. They tried uh, their best to take it from you, saying you didn't live in Brooklyn, all this nonsense. Was there a time during that that you were really, really nervous they were going to take it away from you? Or did you just Never. know? Never. Okay. Never. I'm a Midwood boy. Me too. Me too. Grew up on uh, East 22nd in Quentin Road. Also went to Brooklyn College and Kingsboro. Just like you, Lester Chang, I'm a tough Brooklyn Midwood boy as well. We live in a tough neighborhood in Brooklyn. How could they ever take it that? Could never, never, never. Couldn't be. So I'm a Brooklyn boy already. So whatever they say doesn't mean anything. They'll all do all the tricks and all that. There's nothing at all. But still, I'm happy. I'm seated. And we had to do people's work. That's the most important thing. There's a lot of work ahead of us. So Assemblyman Lester Chang, what has the reception been like in Albany from those who tried to keep you from getting seated to your rightful seat that voters voted you in for? Actually, I'm very surprised. They're very cordial, very professional, very nice about that. Sharpening the knives behind your back at the same time, right, Lester? Yeah. That's correct. That's correct. Because they saw me as an R, as a Republican, not as an A, as an Asian. But, but my my community came out. The Asian came out. So the A became overriding than the R. Yeah. When you Great. look at some of the issues that are going on in Brooklyn, in this city, one of them, Lester, which hits very close to home with you, is uh, the anti-Asian, the crime. You know, uh, we had uh, Rabbi Joe Potasnik on earlier today. We celebrate 78 years since they liberated Auschwitz, and the attacks on Jews have not gone away. We said never forget almost 80 years ago, and now it's every bit as bad as it was back then. Uh, Same thing with the Chinese community. You folks are under attack every day. Predominantly, it's blacks who are committing these crimes. Is that uh, part of what you need to help fix on your job on a daily basis? Well, I mean, appearance is one thing, but I suspect hate is a learned behavior. So we got to stop it somewhere. Probably have to have heavy education and maybe perhaps hate and uh, anti-Semitism need to be taught in school. Perhaps we can lower down the temperature. I don't think they're doing a, a great job in the school. We need to emphasize that. Again, my, my feeling hate is a learned behavior. So we got to somehow lower the temperature or unlearn the hate somehow. You're up in Albany now. And uh, what are the biggest issues for you? What are you going to be pushing for, for your community, for this state? We know that crime has gone through the roof, not just in New York City, but all across New York State as your state representative now. What are you pushing for? 
Okay, first thing about Obi, I was still trying to find a good Chinese restaurant. <laughs> good luck. There aren't many good restaurants no, at all. So. At all, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's a challenge already. Okay. <laughs> uh, and second thing is about the crime. Yes, uh, I have to believe in my leader, Will Barkley, okay? I know we cannot repeal the bail, uh, uh, cashless bail, okay? But what we can do, we can tweak a few things itself. And we, as Republicans, willing to work across the aisle with Kathy Hochul during her speech, during her state of the state speech, that she's willing to listen. So we're looking forward for the Democrats to come out some proposed uh, uh, changes in there. We are willing to ready to work on. I think the other side will identify that. And we just matter is find out what details we can compromise and pass it. That's the most important thing is public safety. And second is education. Right. I mean, we always talk about the public safety first, obviously, whether it's Hochul Adams or you, but you talk about education. What are the biggest problems when you say education? Tell me and Andrew and my listening audience specifically what the issue with education is. Two things, standards and also class sizes itself. Okay. Regarding about the yeshivas itself, uh, what the New York Times did. So that's a big issue. We will support the yeshivas, leave them alone. We'll try to, try to, the school itself, try to get the standards uh, uh, that will satisfy the regions. Second. Well, hold on. Let, let me start with, with the yeshivas. The issue was, because I went to yeshiva, I went to high school, Solomon Schechter. So the issue was, was we spent half the day, Lester, studying English, you know, social studies, math, science. The other half day, we would study Talmud and uh, the Torah and all those things that uh, if you're not uh, really a, a devout Jew, you don't really use the rest of your life. And that's the issue. They're not learning enough of real studies every day. Is that basically the issue? I think that's the basic issue. And I still have to scratch my head where the article from the New York Times did not say positive about the about the yeshivas. I, didn't, I know, and you probably know, sir, is a lot of students who went through the yeshivas came out Pretty well, pretty darn well. Very well. You know why? I'll tell you why, Lester, because it wasn't like we went to school from 8 to 2, right? So we did four hours on English and four hours on Hebrew. I would go to school 8 o'clock in the morning. I would not get home till 6 o'clock at night yeah. because even though we were studying Talmud and Chomash and the Torah and all these Hebrew studies, not once did they ever, not once did they ever not do a good job with math, science, social studies. So the days were longer. And we did a lot of Hebrew, but I can promise you, Lester, we learned every English subject as well. So the New York Times and all these people pushing back, they're wrong. I, I agree with you. So we've got to leave them alone and maybe, maybe look at the test again, how these kids do not, whatever they say, maybe we have to retweak and maybe re-question how it's supposed to be that the kids can understand and do a thousand percent better. What's 100%. your percent? What's your take, changing subjects a little, what's your take on Hochul's loss right now of LaSalle? I know this is a Senate confirmation, you're a member of the Assembly, but considering getting uh, used to the politics in Albany and, and Hochul and, and utilizing the leverage that she needs to find, how important is, for, is, it, is it for her and maybe even for conservatives uh, to see if LaSalle can get uh, sworn in? I mean... Every measure, I just look back, every measure, LaSalle is a qualified judge. Absolutely. Education, case study, optics, and he's a Puerto Rican. He, he is really a, uh, a fully 100% qualified. 
I wish they would put this vote on the floor and, and go up and yeah. down and, and vote him in. I would see that opportunity. And besides, that's the governor's – you know, that's her prerogative to assign which judge it is. He looks qualified to me. Right. Agreed. Uh, let's the last one. When I introduced you, I talked about my dear friend Tom Sullivan out of Queens. I know you know who Tom is. And they literally yeah. stole the election. There's no other way to explain it. You can be cute as you want. But Stacey Piper Amato and her people stole the election. They tried to screw you over, too. So moving forward, you know, the integrities of elections, whether it's local in Brooklyn, Queens like Sullivan, or quite frankly, the presidential race with Donald Trump back in 2020. Are you eager to fix that? The election law definitely needs to be remodified. But the problem is not the, law, the laws are there, but the enforcement has to be equal. I don't see the equality of the decision-making. That's the issue itself, the equality of the decision-making on the judge. It seems like it's not it's not fairly applied. The laws are there, but we need to retweak it. I'll retweak it on the absentee ballot on how they count it. Because if they apply exactly what the law says, Tom Sullivan, and he's a veteran like I am, yeah. God bless him, he should have been sitting with uh, right next to me. That's right. And by the way, thank you for your service. You did uh, serve this country proudly. And thank you so much for that. You and Tom Sullivan, uh, we're thrilled to death, Lester. You got the win. We're happy that uh, you are serving that 49th district. I went to Poly Prep, by the way, too. So I know that area very, very well. Continued success. And uh, go to Albany and kick some ass. Okay, pal? Thank you. All right. There he is. Lester Chang. I like that guy. He's great. He's going to do a great job up in Albany. He is, right? Really will. And he did. He served his country just yep. like Tom Sullivan. He was in the Navy, I believe. Is that what you said, mm-hmm. uh, Andrew? He is. Yeah. Sullivan. I think he sold Navy Reserve, I think. Yeah, I, I think, think so. I think, I think so, too. Sullivan, of course, served in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Kuwait. And, and on 9-11, literally picked up people, threw them over his shoulder, and those people survived because of Tom Sullivan as those buildings were coming down. Anyway, lots more to do on this uh, Friday morning. Sid Rosenberg, Andrew Giuliani, and MJ in studio. Lou Rapino's better half, the great MJ. We're back on a Friday right after this. Is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Oh, it's been a great show already. My dear friend Andrew Giuliani sitting in. Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, 78 years ago today, they liberated Auschwitz, the end of World War II. Curtis Sleeho was brilliant. And a new assemblyman out of Brooklyn, Lester Chang. Matt Gates making the news yesterday. Tell us about that. He George. introduced the Preventing Extreme Negligence or with Classified Information License or Pencil Resolution <laughs> on Thursday. Guess who it would bar? Yep, that's right. Rep Adam Schiff from accessing any classified that. information. That's the pencil the resolution. Pencil. I, I know wonder that, why. Uh, uh, Hakeem Jeffries was set to join me at some point next week. He was yelling and screaming a couple of days ago, it's not right, and you got to put Swalwell back, you got to put Adam Schiff back, you got to put Omar back. 
And I, I, I hope to God that Kevin McCarthy never does that. You don't think he will, will he? If, if you were unbiased, why on earth would somebody like Swalwell be able to access that kind of classified information? Or Adam Schiff, who continually lied to the American people about Trump. Or Elon Momar, who there's more and more proof that she actually did marry her brother in order to get him <laughs> citizenship. I mean, this is crazy. Look, I know we're coming from it from, a, from the right standpoint over here, but I try to be unbiased when looking at this, right? George Santos, I'm sorry, scumbag. I'm happy to say that as a conservative, but let's also say Elon Omar, Adam Schiff, same thing with Swalwell, scumbags. Hard to argue. We got a great 8 o'clock hour about to come your way today. Also, the 50-year anniversary of the treaty in Vietnam. That war came to an end. We will talk to the great Colonel Jack Jacobs. If you're an IMAS fan, you love Colonel Jack Jacobs. Also next hour, famed defense attorney, more importantly, a friend of mine for 42 years, and the newest attorney for President Donald Trump. It's all over the news today. My dear friend Joseph Takapina. All that plus Noam Layden coming up in an action-packed 8 o'clock hour with me, Sid Rosenberg and Andrew Giuliani. Talk Radio 77, WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. I think now, looking back, we did not fight the enemy. We fought ourselves. And the enemy was in us. The war is over for me now. But it will always be there. The rest of my days. As I'm sure Elias will be. Fighting with Barnes for what Ra called possession of my soul. There are times since I've felt like a child born of those two fathers. But be that as it may, those of us who did make it have an obligation to build again, to teach to others what we know, and to try with what's left of our lives to find a goodness and meaning to this life. Hard to believe the porn-watching, crack-smoking Charlie Sheen was so brilliant in that film, but he was platoon, that scene when he's on the helicopter flying away and waving to his battle teammates still there on the ground on his way home, uh, for me, is one of the most emotional scenes in cinema history. And he really did a tremendous job. It was a great movie anyway. I mean, Tom Berenger was great in that, and Willem Dafoe and a host of others. But Colonel Jack Jacobs, he did it in real life. In fact, he won, he won, excuse me, he was awarded a Medal of Honor, a Medal of Honor recipient for his courageous and brave work in the Vietnam War. Fifty years ago today, the treaty was signed. You heard that Richard Nixon cut moments ago, and it was over. But as Charlie Sheen, I know it's a movie, but as he said in that movie, it still lives on today. And I would imagine Colonel Jack Jacobs feels the same way. You know Jack all of our days together on IMUS, many years on NBC, MSNBC, and many years with me, Sid Rosenberg, Jack, Sid Rosenberg, and Andrew Giuliani, good morning. How are you? Hello, man. I'm pretty good for an old man. I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah. I woke up this morning, and that's all I, that's all I require. Uh, that's all, listen, what, you do that every day. That's a, that's a good day, Jack. But on a serious note, I, I know it's a movie, but uh, for me, that movie was done very, very well. And Charlie Sheen says the war is over now, but still lives on in all of us. So as we, I guess we celebrate 50 years today since the treaty was signed and Vietnam was over, is that still true for you? Well, I think it's true for anybody who served in combat. 
Indeed, I think anybody who's been in uniform, whether he was in combat or not, uh, remembers all of it or most of it. I think serving your country, in particular being in uniform, and in particular being in combat, is a signal uh, period in your life, and you never forget it, Sid. It's, uh, you know, one of the things we've talked about a few times today earlier with Rabbi Joel Potasnik on Holocaust Remembrance Day also today, and we talk about all the time uh, with Frank Siller and Tunnel to Towers is is teaching these moments and teaching these moments to generations, uh, you know, as more and more Vietnam veterans get older, there will be a day uh, in the future where, uh, you know, there, there won't be any Vietnam veterans left long in the future, but in the future. Uh, how do you, as somebody who uh, obviously uh, not just served, but uh, served with uh, such heroism, how do you propose we teach the Vietnam War to future generations? Well, it's not the only thing we've got to teach. There are a lot of things like reading and writing and arithmetic. <laughs> very fair point. We, we don't do a very good job. Yeah. of teaching. No, we have to get serious about it, and, and that's only going to happen if there's a groundswell of opinion that insists that the uh, that the educational system do its duty, and that is to uh, to ensure that people don't forget what made them free. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of an observation of, um, of John Stuart Mill, who said something, somebody asked him about war, and he said something like, uh, war is a terrible thing, but it's not the worst of things. A man for whom nothing is more important than his own safety is a miserable creature who is made free and kept free by better men than he. To the extent that we don't teach uh, the sacrifices uh, that occurred so that people could enjoy themselves, uh, they won't value it. Nobody will value it. No, we, you know, education in this country is a local issue. And, uh, it's fragmented as a result. We can't pass a law that says we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to teach that. Can't do that because that's not that's not how education operates in this country. So it means that every community has to get serious about its own future and its own education. And until until each one of them does that, we're going to have the problem we have today, where nobody nobody knows where his freedom comes from that's very very sad thing you could be my education secretary i'll tell you that that was perfect medal of honor recipient colonel jack jacobs jack i speak to a lot of kids that have come back from afghanistan and iraq and i talk about how the government really wanted that war more than they did but listen they signed up to protect this country they don't spend a lot of time delving into the politics behind it they know one thing i'm going to take a gun and go and protect america that's what i do when i go back to your war and I was born in 1967, but I've got two older sisters. I, I kind of remember what it was like, Woodstock, people outside, you know, Kent State, all those days, and, of course, uh, against the war. But my point is, whether it's Iraq, Afghanistan, or Vietnam, wars that the American people don't necessarily think were worthy, you guys never think about that, right? You just you grab your gun, you, you take your oath, and you do whatever it takes to protect this country. You don't get involved in the politics, Yes. Yeah, it's 100 percent correct. I, somebody once asked me, what are you thinking about? Uh, what were you thinking about out on the battlefield when all these protests were taking place against the war in Vietnam, the protests that were taking place in the streets of, of the United States? I said, no, nobody's thinking about that. You want to, all you have to do, you have two requirements, and that is to kill or capture the enemy and take care of each other. I mean, the only thing you're concerned about is how fast can you reload 
nobody's concerned about politics right. at that level. Yeah. Right, right. All you're thinking, all you're thinking about is defeating the enemy and taking care of each other. But this was one that, uh, like the Gulf War, was supposed to be over early. And, and again, I I feel kind of guilty, but I get my education from this from Deer Hunter or Forrest Gump or Platoon. But it didn't seem like the American people and maybe even you kids at the time really expected to get the pushback from the Vietnamese that you did. When you were there, were you disheartened, feeling like, oh, my God, this is a lot more difficult than we thought? Well, there are two things about that. The first is we had a conventional, an attitude about conventional war that didn't translate into unconventional war, which is what that was by and large, certainly in my first tour in Vietnam. The second thing is that our perception at the top of the food chain, the National Command Authority level, was that um, huge uh, amounts of, uh, of fire and maneuver would be able to take care of these people, and it didn't. And there was a third thing, too, and that was there was a great deal of corruption. Same thing happened in Afghanistan, Iraq, and a lot of other places where we try to impose our will. Too much corruption, and, uh, and as a result of that, the efforts of the Americans – uh, got dissipated by the foolishness of the host country. I mean, we see that we, we've seen that in a lot of uh, conflicts, and especially in modern times, more modern times. Recently, we've discovered discovered that perhaps the best way to defeat a threat is by unconventional means, which is one reason why uh, we have such a we've had such a push to to incorporate unconventional action into our national security sphere. Well, you saw today the report about the uh, about the SEAL Team 6 is going to uh, Somalia and killing uh, uh, 10 really, really bad people who've been, mm. uh, been financing ISIS. This is the way we're going to have to deal with these people. Yeah. Well, considering that point, I mean, what's your take on American involvement uh, in Ukraine with the uh, obviously – Russian aggression that uh, we've been seeing now almost a year, uh, almost a year now? Well, I mean, this is a very complex situation. The first is that we want to get stuff done over there, and it's taken the better part of a year to convince our allies to come on board. I mean, we're giving tanks to Ukraine, not because they need M1 Abrams tanks, which are, which, which guzzle jet fuel and are very difficult to maintain and take, takes takes five months to teach an American soldier to become a crew member of an M1 tank, but because that was our ante to get uh, our allies to contribute leopard tanks from NATO. Uh, Otherwise, if we hadn't made that commitment, the Germans wouldn't have made their commitment, and those are the ones that we want over there in Ukraine. We've, We've had a fairly measured response, and the one thing that works to our huge advantage uh, in Ukraine is the tactical ineptitude of the Russians. Yeah. They only have one way of doing things, and that is to bomb the hell out of the their opponents. Yep. And that's we we hope that that doesn't work. They, they can't they have they do not know how to integrate infantry armor, armor, artillery, intelligence into one cohesive force to defeat the Ukrainians. They they may be able to figure it out by the summertime when they're going to try to have a uh, they'll try to have a, an offensive but by and large their default 
way of doing things is to bomb cities. Uh, with any luck, that won't work because then the Ukrainians who do know how to integrate their forces will be able to defeat the Russians. I think we're doing it the right way. At the end of the day, um, we in the West have to depend on Ukrainian valor. And at the end of the day, we have to do whatever we can to assist them, Sid. Highly decorated Medal of Honor recipient Colonel Jack Jacobs on today, the 50-year anniversary of the signing of the Vietnam Treaty. You know, uh, I have these conversations with Gordon Chang all the time. And uh, Gordon has pretty much convinced me, Colonel Jack, that eventually China is going to destroy the United States. may not be militarily, but it may be militarily. And my partner Bernard, when he was alive, he would say, we can't beat them. We have a woke army, which we do. We have these discussions all the time. The wokeness in the army, we're not the same. And I agree with all that. But I still maintain, with all of our disadvantages, we are still the strongest army in the world. And not China, not anybody can beat us. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I agree with that. Uh, our problem is not at the tactical level. Uh, our problem is at the strategic level. We have to make serious decisions about uh, what extent we're going to use our influence and not just military and less military, actually, than the other instruments of policy to influence what's happening in the Western Pacific. You know, China's got its it, it's got a bunch of problems itself. It's got economic problems. It's got demographic problems. And it's got internal political problems. Uh, anytime you have a, um, a despot running things, which is what she is, uh, it means that just about anybody who gains any influence inside can turn them over and make life extremely difficult for the whole country. Uh, our difficulty is that we have not yet decided to what extent we're going to challenge China in the Western Pacific. And we have one very, very large uh, uh, tool at our disposal, and it's not, it's not the, our naval fleet, which, by the way, is smaller than China's, or our army, which is smaller than China's, uh, or our distance from the field of battle, which is farther away than, right. than China is. It's our economic power. Yep. Uh, and, and the use of the... Economic instrument of power by the United States so far, not just in China, but elsewhere, has proved to be an extremely powerful instrument. And uh, we need to do a much better job, and I think we will, of using that power in the Western Pacific. You know, I want to go back, Colonel Jack, to Vietnam. And again, Colonel Jack Jacobs, Medal of Honor recipient on with me, and Andrew Giuliani, on this special day, 50 years on the day we signed the treaty ending the Vietnam War. You look at a collection of guys, for the most part, back then who came home, and no one has been treated worse than Vietnam vets. A lot of issues we've got in New York City right now, Jack, with homeless, crazy people on the streets, some of them violent. Some of these guys, to be honest, served with you 50 years ago, and they came home and Americans spit on them, didn't care about them. You know, now today we make it our business, Iraq, Afghanistan. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. You guys didn't experience any of that. Are you still angry to this day about the way you kids were treated coming home from Vietnam? Well, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not easy to be happy about it. Uh, but anger, no. I, but let me ask you, Jack, 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 if you want to place the blame, the blame on who it was, was it education? Was it the government? Who should have been there for you guys 
to explain to the American people you guys were heroes, not bad guys. Well, it's all it's all politics at the end of the day. We decided that we were going to put 500,000 people uh, into Vietnam and go fight. We did it for 10 years. But we did it in the most haphazard and ridiculous way possible. We had a selective service system which selected people uh, to get drafted and threw them into the service. Now, to be honest, uh, more than 50 percent of the people who served in Vietnam were volunteers. But at the end of the day, we didn't have what I think is vitally important and which we don't have today, and that is universal service. Today, we have the other end of the spectrum. We've got a volunteer service which I think is a dangerous situation in itself because we've opened up a wide gap between those who are serving and those who are being served. During the Second World War, when my father served, he fought in New Guinea and the Philippines in the Army. Uh, everybody served. We had 20 million people under arms. And when they all came home, they were no different than anybody else. Everybody had served. Today, uh, most Americans don't know anybody in uniform or anything else. Every time, every time you meet somebody who's serving, who are served, you say, thank you for your service. You know why we love the troops today? Because we don't have to be the troops. Mm. In Vietnam, it was, the, it was the worst combination. It wasn't, it wasn't universal service, and it wasn't an all-volunteer service. It was selective service. And that, and that resulted in exactly what we see today. You, and, and not only that, Colonel Jack, but, you know, you would think after Vietnam... We would have learned something, our country. I have to tell you, the motives behind Iraq and Afghanistan, 20-plus year wars, not a heck of a lot different. So I can make the argument, Colonel Jack, that we learned nothing from Vietnam based on Iraq and Afghanistan. Is that fair? Well, I think so. I think we, we never learn anything from our past errors. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that's a bit of an, an exaggeration. But, but at the end of the day, the people who are making the decision are politicians and how many of those have actually served and know what the hell they're talking about. No, no, we've got a, we've got a big problem. You're talking to somebody who believes in universal service. If you put everybody in uniform, those people who wind up making national security decisions will have had the experience of being in uniform. And they would be a heck of a lot less stupid than they are today. Oh, God, yeah. you're the best. God, we love you, Colonel Jack. Uh, I mean, 20 years ago when I miss you, you were having these great conversations with us. And to think you're still with me here with Sid 20 years later. And, Andrew, it's, it's just an honor to have you, a great American Medal of Honor recipient, as brave of, as they come. And just a tremendous job today, Colonel Jack. Thank you for hopping on and continued health and success. Okay, pal? Thanks, Sid. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks thank, for having me on the show. You thank it. you for your service, Colonel Jacobs, and thank you for continuing to educate us. Great job. He, uh, he's on all these uh, days for, for a very, very long time, and deservedly so. Again, 50 years ago today, the Treaty of Vietnam. We have covered so much today from the Holocaust Remembrance with Rabbi Joe Potashnik, Colonel Jack Jacobs, on this special 50-year Vietnam anniversary. My seven-year personal anniversary at WABC, the Ongoing saga with Chris Cuomo. Curtis Lieber was great with that this morning. We haven't even touched football yet. We haven't even touched. We're going to get there. Touched it. Nine twenty-five. We'll do football, Andrew, with okay. the Dino. We'll do okay, that. Okay. Still more to do this hour, including the newest attorney for your friend and mine, President Donald Trump, friend of mine for forty-two years. Right there. But Danielle Rosenberg, Arthur Idala, <laughs> as one of the great defense attorneys in our Rudy country Giuliani, today. Rudy Giuliani, I'll say. Rudy's right there, too. Yeah. Is Joseph Tacopina and Rudy Giuliani will join us as well. 
coming up at 9.05, and again on Monday to celebrate his son Andrew's birthday. Keep it right here, the number one Nielsen newsletter talk show in New York City and the self-proclaimed best talk show anywhere in America. That's me, that's us, sitting friends in the morning, only right here on Talk Radio 77, WABC. Talk Radio 77, WABC. No, Lou Rafino, you are doing such an amazing job today. This was in the movie Forrest Gump, one of the great Vietnam movies ever. I know that uh, MJ is taking credit for Lou's performance. His beautiful fiance MJ is in studio today, hanging out with Macedonia Phil. I was saying to Andrew at the break, I said, no, the I-Man. Our long-departed friend Don Imus served. He uh, blew the bugle, and the joke is, of course, in about seven other colonels. But uh, <laughs> if he was uh, talking to Colonel Jack Jacobs right now, he'd be like, oh, you know, Charles, I, I, I was out there. I had served. Uh, and Charles would be like, you didn't serve anywhere. You never left. You never left. And it would be a whole big argument. You know how that would go. No, the first thing would be, I, I can't breathe, Colonel. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on for a second. I need the oxygen. Orange. Get sit in here. Yeah. Shake those peaches. <laughs> Good old Don, I miss. But uh, that's, a, that's an unbelievable conversation. So, again, today, 50 years since the treaty that ended uh, the Vietnam War and 78 years for the uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day today when, in fact, Auschwitz was liberated. And, you know, you got uh, Don Lemon is in Memphis, Tennessee. We made the point earlier, God forbid those were five white cops who killed that innocent black man, God rest his soul, Tyree Nichols, the whole country would be on fire today. And it still may happen because people love demonizing police anyway, and they weren't white cops, but they were cops. So Lemon is there, and uh, Joe Scarborough is actually out Auschwitz today. I've never been to Israel, which is embarrassing. I admit it as a Jew. And I've never been to any of these concentration camps, which is also embarrassing. You have, Andrew, right? I was in Germany when I was playing uh, European, not on the European tour, but European tour qualifying. And I remember. In golf. In, in golf. golf. In golf. Yeah. This is probably 10 years ago or so. Oh, really? And I remember going so to you're one like, of the. You were kind of like camps. the beginning of the whole live tour. You, um, I was. They, uh, those were the Saudis and you were with the Nazis. A lot less, <laughs> a lot less zeros on my paycheck. Uh, we'll put it that way. A lot yeah. fewer zeros. Um, but I remember that trip specifically. We played a couple hours north of Berlin. So after the tournament, first off, I ended up going to one of these smaller camps that was kind of like a holding camp before they would send people to Auschwitz. Was this in Berlin? This was about two hours north of Berlin. Okay. Uh, and it was one of these holding camps where they temporarily held Jews before they would send them right. to bigger. Groups, so they like didn't Auschwitz. have, like for example, the ovens. And... They didn't have they didn't have the ovens there, but you right. could still see the prisons and just how inhumane it was. You could see how how uh, how they were packing people into mm. these small locations. And yeah. I, I remember specifically after the tournament, going down into Berlin and spending a couple of days. And the two things that I'll never forget is first off, going to the Holocaust Museum in Berlin. Uh, it, it was how big overwhelming. How big is that? It was pretty big. Would, I don't would, remember the square footage. You, have you been to the one here big. in the United States? I have, yes. Comparable I mean, I, in uh, terms of size? It was, I think, even maybe a little bigger. Now, wow. the one the one in the United States, remember, it's on the mall, and they actually have, because they have such a big exhibit, they've actually bought an area in Maryland right. to keep that, which is four or five times the size right. uh, of that. But the other thing that I remember is going to the Olympic Stadium, 
Uh, and remembering the Jesse Owens story where, sure. you know, you had this African-American who comes in and wins three or four gold medals with Hitler looking on right there. And I remember standing on the track where all that happened with Owens and then standing where Hitler was, where mm. he was watching and then gave so many of those speeches. Sermons, and it was yeah. just this eerie, eerie <laughs> feeling that was still – it was almost like it was still alive in so sure. many ways. And I sure. think that's one of those things uh, – when we talked with Rabbi Potasnik before, when we talk about Colonel Jack Jacobs, uh, you need to continue to teach these moments. I obviously was never alive during this, was not alive during Vietnam, but in so many ways through the teachings of all this and through learning about it, you can feel uh, you could feel almost in many ways like you were there. Obviously, I'm, I'm not trying to equate myself with anybody no, no, who's not, gone but, through but that. But you're right. I've but, had these conversations with my son, mm-hmm. my 14-year-old son, who, right. by the way, loves learning about all this stuff. He's inquisitive. He's smart. What are you learning about today in history, son? Slaves. Yeah. You know, the all the same thing. I go, have you learned about Pearl Harbor? No. Have you learned about 9-11? No. And I remember Danielle was getting upset with me. I don't care. I mean, he should be learning about all of this stuff. Enough already with the slaves and the, I get it, okay? Like, I'm not going to go see emancipation. I'm sick of it. And, and, And I'm the first guy to say that, yes, African-American people went through very difficult times, and they still do. I get it. There's fewer black coaches. There's fewer black CEOs. I get it. Mm -hmm. It's a lot better than it ever was, a lot better. It's still not perfect. But my God, my kid goes to school. They don't teach him about Vietnam. They don't teach him about Mm 9-11. They don't teach him about the Holocaust. He's got to learn about slavery every day. It's enough. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things, right? We're we're not talking about not teaching about America's indiscretions and and terrible parts of the past, but also talk about America's glory, about the amazing things, about the progress, about the fact that really within the first hundred years actually relinquished slavery in the United States. And then obviously we know about Jim Crow afterwards. We know about... Uh, you know, everything that happened in the civil rights movement. But this is a, a battle that we had with ourselves in the United States of America. And, and I would say in a time in human history that nobody's been able to actually do that. And no other country had been able to do that the way the United States had, because we had the opportunity to look at ourselves in order to do that. So, yeah, absolutely, Sid, teach a full recollection of American history. I said it before, the good, the bad and the beautiful, because that's really what uh, American history represents. My wife, uh, beautiful wife, Danielle, is about to head to Tokyo mm. to finish up the, the marathon. Award. That's right. And uh, Berlin is one of the marathons that she ran, Danielle. Right. She said, uh, I was in the wind in Berlin when I ran the Berlin Marathon, the Holocaust Memorial. It was very moving. Actually, one of my birthdays, a beautiful design space. But she didn't love Berlin, my wife. Yeah. And I think she felt at one point, I believe she was in a cab one day, and felt like the cab driver in Germany. Now, we're talking 80 years mm-hmm. past the Holocaust. Wasn't very nice to her because she she mentioned something about the Holocaust Museum and Judaism. Right. And he wasn't very nice. Mm. Even now, right. 80 years later. But uh, she did run Berlin. Yeah. She's going to run it run Tokyo next. This is Sit and Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? 77 WABC. They used to play this song when they introduced the Miami Heat at the basketball games. And I'd sit there with Danielle Gabe and Ava wearing our Carmelo Anthony jerseys. And they would yell and scream, I-95 North is right up the block. Get the hell out of here. This song reminds me of those James <laughs> Wade and Bosch days. Danielle reminds me, I was complaining about Gabriel's curriculum. She agrees with me. 
He's been learning the same thing since the third grade. It's the enslavement of African Americans and the annihilation of the indigenous people and nothing else. He was reading some terrible book stamped that he and his classmates told the teacher they didn't want to read it anymore because its classmates are African American and everything you've ever watched on TV and read is racist. So even his uh, African American friends hated it. So and Danielle's right about that. We both did complain and... I'm not sure things have changed. He changed schools. I still think he spends way too much time on civil rights and slavery, way too much time. But that's New York. Yeah. You just can't get away from it. You can change schools, and it gets a little better. Still not good enough for Well, me. you got to love what DeSantis has done, which is taking the African-American studies out of the hands of Black Lives Matters in the 1619 Project. That's correct. A brilliant move by Ron DeSantis. Yep. Anyway, talking about DeSantis, he's going to run against Donald Trump, it looks like. And my next guest, our next guest, is a dear friend of mine for 42 years. And at this point, along with Danielle, uh, one of, and your father, uh, the, the, the maybe the best defense attorney anywhere in this country. He's that good and uh, just about two weeks ago, he called me. He was on the way to Mar-a-Lago. Yep. Called me at 5.30 in the morning. He said, Sid, what do you think? I said, this is great. And now it's everywhere. New York Post, TMZ, my dear friend Joe Tacopino representing Donald Trump. Just another, another tremendous client in tax long history and impressive career. Here he is, Joseph Tacopino. Right off the bat, Joseph, congratulations. President Donald Trump does not get much bigger than that. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, look, uh, when I see things happening that are just so fundamentally wrong, whether you like his politics or like his personality or don't like his politics, it just absolutely drives me bonkers. And the stuff that's going on around him, some of the legal proceedings around him, the shenanigans that this former special prosecutor, uh, really, who should just hide his head in the sand. Uh, is this Pomerantz? Uh, it's just, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's despicable. It's despicable. Yeah. The whole thing is despicable. You know, it's, it's, uh, what's funny is, you know, you, you've kind of dove in with the whole Trump thing. I mean, you represented Kimberly Guilfoyle at the January 6th hearings. Now you're representing President Trump himself. You're on record here on this show saying that what Joe Biden is doing right now with the documents, every bit is bad, if not worse. And he was quick to criticize Donald Trump. So between Kimberly and the president, you, Joseph Takapina, you've basically been uh, like a made man in the Trump family. <laughs> in, in the McGurk organized crime. <laughs> uh, somewhere Bernard McGurk is smiling because smiling we, we, so big. Right, oh, we are not please. that far removed. I mean, you, you, didn't, you never really criticized the president. You didn't kill the president. But you weren't his biggest fan. But now, because you're a good attorney and you're all about what's fair and what's not fair, even you have to admit there are two sets of rules. Everybody's rules and a different one for Donald Trump. And, you know, Sid, I've been saying that long before I was retained as his lawyer. I mean, I've been saying that long before. I mean, the, 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 the double standards here, the stuff with, with Letitia James and what she's doing, it, it's, you know, talk about a frivolous lawsuit. I mean, that thing is ridiculous, the whole the whole assets valuation fraud case, you know, between two private parties, none of which are aggrieved. But all of a sudden, the attorney general has something in the interest of the people of the state of New York. I mean, it goes on and on and on. But this this last maneuver by Pomerantz is, is despicable. I mean, it's a crime. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, I you know, we have the, the confidentiality agreement he signed with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office before taking on the role, you know, leaving Paul Weiss, by the way, Hillary Clinton's law firm, taking on the role of special prosecutor. And one of the things he said is in, in this agreement that he agreed to is that he understood that the records in this case will be obtained by grand jury subpoena. And he understands that pursuant to New York penal law, 215-70, the improper disclosure of that material uh, is punishable as a felony. 
but, but you know, he's going to sell a book. And I think at this point in his career, you know, he's left Paul Weiss apparently. Um, and he's now just sort of going to, you know, get his 15 minutes in um, and try and make as many millions as he can on this book. And, you know, so be, so, you know, damn with the rest, law license, uh, felony status. I guess it doesn't matter. And Joe, even if I'm not mistaken over here, even the one and only Alvin Bragg, the one who I have been so, so many of us have been so critical of, he actually had a, a shot across the bow at Pomerantz on this stuff, saying that it would actually hinder and influence his investigation. Am I right about that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, wow. and, and by the way, he, Alan's saying the same thing. Greg is saying the same. This is the first time Alan and I are on the same page here. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, he, he's saying the same thing. It's a crime. It's a violation of the penal law to reveal grand jury information, information that was obtained pursuant to grand jury subpoena. You can't reveal, that, especially during an ongoing investigation, which Greg says this still is. We'll see. Yeah. But but it's a felony. And, and someone like Pomerantz, who was a former federal prosecutor and uh, you know at one time was a regarded uh, defense attorney um you know it's it's amazing that someone like that would do this just for the sake of a dollar and for some publicity and some fame i mean that's that's all this is about and it's it's despicable i mean really the legal system has now become such a joke in so many ways and because it's driven by politics and political bends and agendas and everything else and it's just Wrong. I, mean, I almost cursed on your show. Just. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. And by the way, even though Bragg agrees, Takapina told me in private, I'm going to share it. He wants his campaign donation back. Uh, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Joe. I, so, I gave him a nice donation. I'm friends with Alan. And then he puts out some memo where I basically know. all criminals get to go free. I know. He's nuts. And he's a bad guy, actually. He hates Jews. He hates he just defensive blacks. That's fine. Uh, so last Thursday night, you were at a very important meeting. And uh, being the dear friend you are, you said, Sid, the Bruins are in town. You can have my two great tickets. He's got great tickets, Andrew. So I took my, my, my buddy Tom Mango, and we went to the Ranger game, sat in Takapina's seats, and it was a wonderful time. Now the man that owns that hockey team that you and I love so much, he's in the news today. It's like the biggest news in the city. That's Jimmy Dolan, who has now threatened to stop serving beers at Ranger games because they're coming down on him, the alcohol folks, because he actually has some type of system when folks enter Madison Square Garden, they take a picture of their face, and people are saying that's intrusive, that's illegal. What do you think about this whole, what's turning a very nasty Ranger beer sale situation with Jimmy Dolan? Well, here's the thing. I'm a Ranger season ticket holder, and I know if I say something bad about Jimmy Dolan, I'm going to lose those seats. <laughs> right, don't so do I it. Don't do it. Phenomenal. <laughs> I think he's a god. I think, I think any attorney who has the, the audacity to sue MSG or any of its entities should not only be disbarred barred from these premises, but should be imprisoned. Um, so I, I agree with him. No, but, 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 but on a serious my note, seats are not going anywhere. Right, no, those are great seats. <laughs> those seats are going to get even better, it sounds right. like. But on a serious note, he owns the team. He owns the building. Why can't he decide who comes and goes? He can. He can. But what the New York State Liquor Authority is basically saying is that, yeah, you can decide who comes and goes. But if we don't think you're, you're, you're being fair in, in the way you allow entry into your venues, we don't have to give you a liquor license. And they're claiming and it's discriminatory, right? It, you know, it is. It is. Andrew. I mean, what, what, basically what, he's, what they're saying, the, the liquor authority is saying, look, you can't, you can't use facial recognition, to, which is supposed to be used for 
security purposes to make sure that no, you know, like no terrorists are coming into the building or <laughs> yeah, anything like that. Fine. Um, to, to to pick out attorneys who are filing cases against an MSG entity, whatever that entity may be, it could be uh, Marquee, it could be Radio City Musical, whatever it is, um, and and it, it prevents those people from being allowed entry into the building. And what they're saying is that's really not what that's supposed to be used for. That's right. supposed to be used for right. security purposes. That's what they state. Never. But you know, Jimmy Dolan is he's a tough guy, and he's a guy who's going to say this is. I, listen, I put attorneys on notice. You sue us, you're banned from our premises until the litigation's over. Um, but I don't agree with that policy, but certainly, um, you know, it's his to do. And look, all they could do is take his liquor license away, right? I mean, it's a private entity, um, like you just said, Sid. But, you know, anything that has to do with the state getting licenses, yeah. that's where he could be impacted. No, and then the range of fans want to drink beer. I mean, look, at the end of the day, my two favorite people, Danielle, you're right up there on that list as well, Joe Tacopina, both attorneys. I love you both, but... I love what Jimmy Dolan is doing. <laughs> Let's move on to the next story. I told you last night, uh, Joseph, that if those five cops in Memphis that killed Tyree Nichols were white, this country would be turned upside down today. Rioting fires would be worse than Minnesota. Now, look, people are still loving the opportunity to demonize the police. I mean, you got Don Lemon live in Memphis today. He's going to find a way to demonize the police, which is bad enough. But you would agree... Thank God these were black cops, because if they were white cops, we'd be in a whole lot of trouble every city across America today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, listen, it sounds ugly to say that, say it does, but I said that to you last night. And then it's unfortunately, it's just the truth. It's just the truth. And let's let's call it what it is. Come on. We don't have to be politically correct on your show. We just got to be honest. Not my show. And, and being, <laughs> I, know, I know. And being honest, being honest says says if these were five white cops. The, the, the Memphis would have been burning already, um, you know, so so if you want to say fortunately, there's nothing fortunate about this incident. But if you want to say fortunately, they weren't white. So this didn't become a racial incident. You know, thank God for that, I guess. Um, but it's still it's still a horrific thing. And, and you know, what's worse is the videotapes going to come out today. And, and I look, I haven't seen it and I don't prejudge anyone. I, I really do give everyone the benefit of the doubt. That's our justice system. Justice is when someone is presumed innocent until a jury determines that they're not. But. From all accounts, from law enforcement accounts, and normally law enforcement's a little more reserved in their condemnation of their officers, they came down hard on these guys. They're basically saying it defies humanity. That's the police chief. Um, this videotape must be so bad that that I guess it's probably indefensible, as was what they're saying. So, yeah, when it comes out, you see it's you know it's going to harken back memories of Rodney King, which was one of the worst episodes in, in the country. They say history. this is you know, worse. What happened they say this guy took a worse beating than Rodney King. Uh. My God, and and that's yeah. hard to believe. I know. The, 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 that also begs the question: Is what are these guys thinking? They have cameras on their chests that are recording this. I mean, I just don't understand what it is that that gets into some of these guys' minds. And listen, you couldn't pay me to be a police officer. I represent a lot of cops, as you know. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we all, me, you, Andrew, your crew there. You know, we all go to work every day, hoping we have a good day at work. Yeah. A police officer goes to work every day, hoping they come home. Yeah. And so it's try and walk in those shoes for a minute. But but on the other hand, they do have an obligation to sort of uphold certain rules and laws. And and if they just pummel the sky, you know, according to this, the, the statements I'm reading, they just were taking turns, just, yep. just pulverizing yep. this guy when he was down and out, which is crazy. So, that, Well, look, you know, I, I just see this and then if they say you hold all the bad news till Friday afternoon and dump it. I don't know if that's the right move here because you're going to have the whole weekend where this thing could get stirred up all across the country. And I think it will, and I think we will still see rioting, Andrew, just not as bad because of the 
race of the cops, I think it will still get ugly in certain parts. Hey, Joseph, again, congratulations on the Donald Trump news, and you're doing such a great job on the show every week. 42 years, a long time, brother. I love you. Thank you for another great appearance on Shit and Friends. Love you, too. Andrew, All right, man. Have a great weekend. Yeah. There he is, the great Joseph Takapina. They don't come much better. Law offices of Takapina Siegel. And Diorio, we'll take a short break. We go from one amazing attorney, Joseph Takapina, to another. Rudy Giuliani, you know him? Uh, I got to get a bio on him. Phil, get a bio up. <laughs> Rudy Giuliani will talk NFL Championship Weekend with Mike DeDino. We'll play Sid's Take, a very exciting 9 o'clock hour. Still to come your way. Keep it right here. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Phil Collins, as we wrap up our number three of Sitting Friends in the Morning with my friend Andrew Giuliani, who's going to be back with me on Monday. What's that? Covered a lot of ground today. We covered everything, man. Oh, my goodness. I mean, everything. Yeah. And then Monday, we're going to have some fun because Monday happens to be Andrew's birthday. How old are you going to be? 37. 37. You're a baby. 37, I know. But I mean, you're a kid. No, I act like a baby to my wife. No, you're very, very smart. Oh, thank you. And uh, so we'll celebrate. It's also Lee Zeldin's birthday Monday. Yeah, how about that? Well, come on. Yeah. You know, I texted him last year, and we're we're in the middle of a primary, so we want to kill each other. But I just said, you know, the handsomest guys must be born on January 30th. (laughs) Because, and I. You two guys are both very handsome. (laughs) By the way, you guys never got that nasty. It was more of the Rob Astorino, Harry Wilson with Lee Zeldin than you. They definitely got deeper into it. Yeah, I had our snipes, but I'll tell you what. Very few. We all all knew what we were going for. We were trying to save the state. And Lee still is. I'm very interested to hear. Maybe he'll reveal his plans on Monday. On he City might. Friends. He might. And, of course, your father, Rudy, who we both love desperately. He's Hope. coming up here momentarily. Hopefully he'll come back again on Monday. And he's probably not thrilled to hear this, but it is what it is. Donna Hanover will make her debut on this program. Mom, on yeah. Monday morning. Oh, and she's got some embarrassing stories, I hear. So she does? I don't even know. I'm going to try to see if I can censor her the way you censor Sliwa. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. She loves the music on this show. She loves it. The she first does? thing she said, she says, I love the music. Did she really she say that? 100%. The first thing she said, she listened all four hours on Tuesday. Right. She said, I love how the music plays. Really? I said, you got to meet Lou Rufino then. You got to meet Lou. She didn't say. I didn't say you got to meet Sid. I said you got to meet Lou. Your mother didn't say Sid's brilliant. He's great. He's no. He said all. She said all that. (laughs) Everything. Every bit of that. Holy crap! I'll tell you that when you walk out in the hall. Okay. So you're happy. She said that. She said that Sid said that about himself (laughs) on the air. I said no, no. No, Lou does a tremendous job. He does. We'll come back and wrap it up with a great hour. I promise. A great hour led by the great Rudy Giuliani with Sid and Andrew right into this. Is Sid and friends in the morning. For my friends. 77 WABC. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. So I'm considering taking off that Monday President's Day. I mean, I, I take very little time off. They don't want me to take off ever, ever. And I love doing this show, so. But I need a three-day weekend somewhere. Florida, I don't know. I'm an old Jewish guy. I go to Florida. And now that I've got Andrew here twice a week, and he is uh, certainly more than capable, he's a terrific uh, host, then maybe I'll have him do the show that Monday, and I'll go eat... Uh, 
a four o'clock dinner in Delray Beach. But when Lou's going to take off. That means I'm relying on Phil and Justin here. How do, Basically, how yes. I mean, that yes, seems like yeah. you're just no, setting me up for failure over here. Uh, we are setting up for failure. Yeah, yes. that's exactly what we're aiming to do. To do. This. I better start no. preparing for no. the show now. But here's the difference: out. like when Imus would take off, yeah, I would fill in for Imus, right? And I'd be so good. And Lou knows this. He would get emails. Why don't you put Sid on more? So eventually he decided, I'm never going to put anybody on who's any good. So I'll be mediocre. I just don't want to be that no, good. No, I'm the, I'm the one guy that's putting on somebody good because I'm not secure about my position. Right. I must have put on a guy like Mike Gunzelman. Yeah. Nice kid, but really. <laughs> you know, uh, Bill O'Reilly puts on some guy named Mike Slater. Should be selling hot dogs on the beach. <laughs> Me, I'm so secure about my position. I know how good I am that I have no issue putting on somebody great like you. I'm not well, worried about it. It's just you know. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, just. What else can we say? What adjectives can we say about you, Sid? I, <laughs> I just don't know. Don't even know. It's I got a few. I'm thinking of you. Got a couple. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. I got. I got a bunch in the chamber. Hold, ready. Hold hold them for President's fan. Day. We're going to go through the adjectives of Sid on President's Day. <laughs> so <laughs> that's like an easy hour tune, filled up right there. Tune in. I believe that's Monday, February twentieth. It is, yes. For President's Day. I think so. Andrew and Phil. It looks that way. Nin- I'm 90% sure unless uh, something. We'll see. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll discuss that down the road. But uh, right here, right now on the phone is the greatest mayor in the history of New York City. As I often say, the greatest mayor in the history of any city across this country. Now he's a rock and roll star on this station, 3 p.m. every weekday. Happens to be the father of my dear friend who co-hosts with me now twice a week, Andrew Giuliani. One of the men I really look up to and really love, as, as you do, of course, Andrew, the great Rudy Giuliani. Rudy, welcome back, pal. How are you? Oh, nice to be with you guys, and happy birthday in advance, Andrew. Oh, thank you very much. Well, hey, we're coming over tomorrow, if that's okay. I mean, you invite Sid open on air, but <laughs> yeah, I haven't yeah. gotten an invitation yeah, I, in a while. No, can, I, I, can I come over if I bring Grace tomorrow? Only if you bring Grace. Okay, <laughs> okay well, I'll make sure. I'll, you know, ta- by the I'll way, talk to her. This will be the first time in three weeks that I don't get an invite to Rudy Giuliani's house because the Giants... If you want to come, we can, we can watch some football. And this is just like Sid and Friends, right? You get invited three times, you say no. You're That's not getting it. invited You're back, so you better make sure you say yes on this well, third well, invitation. So, so, someone, you know, Andrew, I'll have one of the boys visit him. <laughs> one, of, one of the boys hey, coming that's, over Sid. Yeah, that's all I need. I got I got Chris Cuomo and Rudy Giuliani yeah, looking to beat me up. They get two for the price of one right here now because you got Slew in the other room. You got Sid here. They can get two for the price of one. We do have two big football games coming up on Sunday: the Eagles and the Forty Niners, and the Bengals and the Chiefs. Oh, before, Sunday, right? Sunday. I forgot. Last week it was Saturday. Yeah, that's right. They're both Sunday. But before we get to all that, uh, yesterday was the State of the City. Rudy, and I, and I got to tell you, one of my favorite conversations I've had in my 25-year history of doing this was with you. A couple of weeks ago, you were very honest. I said, Rudy, if you took over the city when Eric Adams did, would it be easy to fix it? You said, no. You said, look, he's got a lot on his plate. There's no doubt about it. Now, you're critical, and he talks a bigger game that he's accomplished. We all agree to that. But you have been honest in saying Bill de Blasio really left this guy a really crappy city. The guy guy was left with a very difficult, failing situation. The difference between him and de Blasio is, and that's why de Blasio didn't look so bad in the first couple of years, and it took a while. And when it unraveled, it just fell apart, right? The city I'm talking about. So de Blasio took over. It's like taking over a company. Suppose you take over General Electric from Jack Welch. Mm Mm-hmm. It took a while for his successor to ruin it, but he did. Right? right. <laughs> it, yes, he did. It, 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 went along, it went along beautifully for a while. This guy has a situation where it, nothing, nothing's working. He was handed a city that was completely screwed up by a total moron. 
And uh, I empathize with him putting it together. Now, on the other hand, he really, I'm going to say this in the nicest way possible. The guy's not a professional politician. He he was designed for a different profession, maybe selling used cars. Because (laughs) yesterday's speech was extremely damaging. It was a very damaging speech psychologically. First of all, you never bank. They, they, They used to call the mayors before me the tin can brigade right? because they would go to Albany and Washington with their little hands out and say, please help me save the city. Please help me save the city. Please help me save the city. I need your help. You're so important. I have to mention you 13 times. Like hell, the mayor is, has more power than the governor. More people know the mayor than the governor. And the mayor is more politically powerful as he wants to be. What he did yesterday, he should have done the first day he was in office when he was really popular and he had political leverage tells me he's not a really professional politician because he doesn't know how to really use leverage. He knows how to give speeches. It was a good speech. It wasn't a great one. He knows how to do shtick. He's terrific at it, but it doesn't, he, he, so far it's been a long time and he doesn't deliver. Well, when you and talk about things, leverage, but when you talk about leverage, Rudy, be really specific in what okay, you think. Here, 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 here's the leverage. You gotta be. You gotta be. You gotta be a tough guy. You gotta say to the majority leader and the and the uh, uh, speaker who really are running things, not her. She's, as far as I can tell, she's useless. They just overrode her and pushed it, really pushed her aside. The other two are the two you're gonna have to work on. I would, if it were me, I'll tell you exactly what I'd do. And if they were, if they were Republicans. I go into the, I go to them. I visit them. I say, "Hey, you know, we've been friends. I like you. I, I, I don't need this. My people need it, and my people are getting killed because of what you're doing. So this is not. This is no longer politics. This is real life. I'm going to spend an appreciable part of my time, if I can do every day, coming in your district and telling people they shouldn't vote for you. Right. And I'm and I'm going to explain to them in detail why they shouldn't. I'm going to every time we have a murder. Or, or a terrible situation from somebody let out because of your laws, whether it's uh, you know uh, lowering the age so you can be a juvenile and can get away with anything, or putting people out on bail. Uh, I'm going to come and I'm going to attribute to you. And by the time we're finished, they're going to figure out how many people you got killed. You know, one of the places where Sid and I have disagreed a little bit on Mayor, Ad- Mayor, Mayor Adams's take on his trip to Albany last year, which Adam called, actually on Sid and Friends here on Wednesday, he called a victory saying we got eight out of ten of the things that we needed to get done, except for crime we disagreed on a little bit right there. Uh, what's your take on that? Because I contest that... Uh, the mayor had maximum leverage. You used that word earlier today. Maximum leverage last year before a gubernatorial race. What's your take? Uh, but this is like a, a like I feel like I'm teaching a class, right? That's why you're a politician. That was the time to do it. You got to know, you got to know when you got the power and you got to use it because you're not always going to have it. He isn't as strong a figure as he was a year ago. Mm-hmm. He's now a mayor who made promises, didn't keep most of them, doesn't seem to know how to get them done. And he's in a phase now where it's going to go either way. The second year is the year that decides whether you're successful or not. And then some of the things that he laid out are silly. I mean, if he gets if he gets eight out of ten of these, we lose unless he gets the one on crime. Uh, now the seventeen hundred repeat offenders get them off the street a hundred percent. Yep. But uh, five hundred thousand new affordable housing units right now. When it's just going to be 500,000 people who are going to be victims of crime, 
Those units are for affordable housing. They're not going to bring any. They're not paying the bills in New York. Uh, he, he, he should be focusing on projects right now that are rebuilding the city's financial base. So he has the money three years to, from now to pay for the affordable housing. He's not doing that. I assume that's because we've lost so many taxpayers over the previous couple of years. Is that why you say that? Yeah. And you got to stop it. You got you have to stop the revolving process of losing them, which is you lose them. You raise taxes and you lower services. Now you lose more raise taxes, lower services. You, you got to go radical. You got to really cut the budget 10, 15, 20 percent. And then you got to cut taxes. And how about this? You really do the right thing and you put in 5,000 more cops. He's down to 34,000 police officers. I have 41,000. And that alone is another That's reason why difference. the city's in grave danger. Yeah. He wants to spend $150 million on helping people, you know, get over fentanyl. How about spending $150 million on getting it the hell out of the city? Right, right. And that, that does move the conversation to the President of the United States. This is the great Rudy Giuliani on 3 o'clock every day, the best mayor ever, and his son Andrew in studio with me today and be back on Monday on his birthday. Joe Biden, uh, you, know, he, you know, he spoke again yesterday. I've never seen a guy. We talk about Eric Adams, for example, and he comes off a good rookie season. He says this is going to be his Aaron Judge season. So seemingly he's taking credit for stuff he hasn't accomplished, but I've never seen anybody Adam, like Biden. Adam, Adam, Adam is a good performer, and he's compass menace. Oh, yeah, but, but, but Biden has done less than Adams. Biden has destroyed this country because, again, de Blasio gave Adams garbage. Trump left this country in good shape, and it took Biden one year to destroy it. So, yeah, so yeah. Uh, Right. So as bad as Adams is, if you think he's bad, Joe Biden's a thousand times worse. Oh, no, no comparison. Uh, it would uh, even even de Blasio in some ways was better. He didn't deconstruct it all at once. <laughs> Biden, Biden walks in and he cancels everything on day one. I mean, he canceled the pipeline. Pipelines. All of a sudden we go from energy independent. We've been working for for 35 years, Republican and Democratic presidents. And he reverses it. Boom. Putin sits there and says, Man, do I have a jerk in, in the man? This is my time. This is my time. Yep. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on that horse again and ride all over America. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he 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 reversed everything. He, he the whole program of keeping the people in Mexico before they come into America. He actually got the basic guys a communist, the communist president of Mexico, to agree to it. I know that guy. I work for him, believe it or not, and reducing crime, and he. He developed a great relationship with the guy. He'd get him to do anything he wanted. And I know that personally because I talked to him, yeah. meaning the president of Mexico. So who liked Trump a lot better than his ideological uh, uh, fraternity brother because he could talk to him. He could, nobody can talk to, to, uh, to, to Biden. No. Now, Biden. Biden is a complete, absolute, unmitigated disaster. <laughs> And uh, and, it, and it's a, it's not not even I mean, it's not, not even close to funny. It's a tragedy you, for the people you, of our country and hey, for us. Do you think the classified doc? And I haven't had the opportunity to ask you this in private. Do you think the classified documents are an inside job on Biden? You think it's a Democrat who's actually doing this? Uh, yeah, uh, you you asked it the right way, Andrew. Do I think? Yeah, I think I can't prove. Right. Right. And I've been I've been trying. You know, I tried from the very beginning of this. Uh, from day one, when I started putting uh, the stuff out on Biden, which, believe it or not, goes back to 2018, 
uh, I tried to always back it up with a document or two or three to show it isn't me. I'm acting really like I used to act as a prosecutor. Here, here my here's my evidence. Right now, I'm doing a I'm doing a program on WABC and on my uh, and on my uh, show at night at eight o'clock, which is on the social media. And every day, I'm putting out a new, just this singular piece of evidence that proves that he's a major crook. So last last night, I put out the uh, the, the the message he left for his son. He left a, uh, a audio message for his son, basically saying, "I just read the the, the New York Times article about the spy chief in China. This goes back to this goes back to oh gosh, when was it? Eighteen, I think. Yeah. And yeah. he says, uh, uh, "You're in the clear. Give me a call." Right. No, he actually said, "Love you." At the end, and he said, "Love you." <laughs> and I love you. Somebody would love the bag man who brings you thirty million. Of course. Uh, yeah. So, so what it proves unequivocally is he knew all about the foreign dealings. What is of this course. garbage? I didn't know foreign dealings. He writes of the far. If if you didn't know about the foreign dealings, if you read the New York Times article, it tells you all about them, Joe. No, we we played. To- yeah, we played that voicemail on this show many times. He clearly clearly knows and t- tells his son, "It's okay, you're in the clear." But I tell you what story made me think of you this week too, Rudy. All these years whether it's Trump or you, you guys kind of go hand in hand. Every major story about a, a European country, uh, Trump did this and Giuliani did that. And then just a couple of days ago, we find out that one of the guys who was knee deep in the oh, Trump wow. rush. Right. Isn't it funny how all the people that have accused Trump and you, Rudy Giuliani, over the years of doing all these things, especially with countries like Russia, those are the guys that are guilty, not you guys. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I should have kept it. I'm going to recreate it. Well, I met with Trump a couple of weeks ago and spent time. I made a little chart. They're lying. We're telling the truth. And I got about five on there where there are specific things they lied about us. And then it turns out two or three years later, we're telling the truth. I mean, the Russian collusion being one of the main ones. Or how about I was a Russian agent? I saw that, yeah. <laughs> he accused me of that during the – I have the great honor of being mentioned in a presidential debate. As an alleged Russian agent. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, go ahead, go ahead. And it's not true. And you never even get an apology. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, they go on to a new one, a new lie. Uh, you can't believe it. You can't believe all the people I did business with I never met. <laughs> when they were really going at it when I was representing Trump, the way they would hit me is, I didn't know this, but the FBI went and got all my records. I've yeah. been investigated for the last 20 years, and they and they would put out leaks. When they didn't know the answer to someone, they would say, he represented this guy, and this guy might be this and that and the other thing. It turns out the guy, you know, is a, 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 a professor who was suing to try to get uh, money back from the college. I mean, they defamed a lot of people. I mean, a lot of a lot of it uh, wasn't just me. I just happened to be better known. But what they did is it's like McCarthy, the McCarthy era. Yep. People would read up on that. Uh, the McCarthy era of going after communists on steroids. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's well said. Well, on a lighter note, I'm coming over your place tomorrow night, but I'm coming from a child's birthday party, a one year old birthday party where I'm going to have 20 
screaming kids in my ears, so oh, I'm going to need a nice yeah, glass of scotch if you can pour me a glass of scotch coming over, if that's okay. I'll, I'll tell you a bunch of stories of what you did. If you, if, if you find it difficult or annoying, I'll tell you what you did. <laughs> yeah, right. You would know better. Uh, Rudy, then, you know, I'm, I'm glad your mother's going to be on, on on Monday because, as I said, boy, she gets great credit for the two of you. Wow, thank uh, you. Well, you're going to be on, too. You're both. Lucky, you're very both lucky young. people. And yeah. I'm going to tell you one thing beyond her and me. And Sid, this is really true. You also need some luck in success with children. I've seen some wonderful parents, as good or better than us. Yep. And they'll have one kid, and the kid's a drug addict. It isn't always the parents. It's sometimes the parents try their best. Oh, this, listen, listen, I'm living proof of that. My mother and father never did a drug in their life, and I went to rehab twice. Now, thank God I turned it around and... And uh, proud of what I've done here now. But for a long time, I was a loser. I was. And my parents never did anything like that. So you're right. You need some luck along the way, too. But you and Donna did a great job with this kid. And you'll both be on the show on Monday. Have a great weekend, Rudy. Enjoy the football. We'll talk to you Monday morning. Yeah. You want to come over on Saturday? You're welcome. Uh, it's Sunday. Don't invite him a third it's Sunday. time. It's Sunday. Don't invite him a third time. I'll come Saturday, strike. but the game's a Sunday. You come Saturday night. We'll watch a movie together. We'll all snuggle up. There you go. Watch a uh, movie. Thank you, Rudy. Check out Rudy at 3 o'clock this afternoon and every weekday afternoon on WABC. He really is tremendous. When we get back, we'll talk some NFL football with the man that runs the sports website here at WABC. My friend Mike DiDino will break down the NFL championship weekend coming up next. What a field day for the heat. A thousand. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Right, let's talk some football. We've had such a, a serious show all day long. Holocaust Remembrance Day, 50 years since the treaty that ended the Vietnam War. Some great guests today from Rabbi Joe Potashnik, the Colonel Jack Jacobs, Rudy Giuliani, Joseph Takapina, Curtis Sliwa, Lester Chang out of Brooklyn. Just been an amazing show with Andrew Giuliani as my uh, co-host today. But let's talk some football. Mike DiDino is the sports digital manager of the station. He runs the sports side of the website, wabcradio.com. I brought Mike here many years ago, and I'm happy that Chad and John, everybody here, wants to do more sports because whether you folks like sports or not, I don't care. (laughs) I can tell you that every major successful program in New York City, especially mornings, you do sports. Think about Sid Rosenberg, Mike Breen, Mike Brancesa, Chris Russo, all started doing sports right. on the I Miss in the Morning show. Even Rush Limbaugh. Think about Rush Limbaugh. He, he did not sports, morning. Too. sports well, too. He got fired, of course, for the Donovan yeah. Nap stuff. But, no, but even before that, yeah. I think before, very he early was in the 80s, sports. He was sports. Yes. Right? But every, every big time morning show in New York does sports. Yeah. So Mike is uh, doing that for us here at WABC. So welcome back to the show, Mike. Thank you. Feels good to be on. Feels good to be with you guys. Excited to talk some football today. Let's do it. Let's get to uh, the first game. The Brock Purdy story is a great story. Everybody loves it. Even my wife, Danielle, loves Brock Purdy. Uh, But this is a big one. On the road, Eagles have been the best team in football all year. They had a two-week hiccup because Hurts was hurt. He came back in the playoffs and embarrassed the Giants last week. I don't see any reason to think the Eagles are not going to win. This is a very tough spot for a young kid who, by the way, didn't play great last week. Dak Prescott 
gift wrap that game for San Francisco. If he throws one pick instead of two, he ain't playing this week, Brock Purdy. I know they got a great defense and McCaffrey can run the football, but there's no reason to go against the Eagles based on what he's done all season long. Yet, my feeling is you and Andrew Giuliani, you're going against the Eagles. Yes, I like the 49ers in this game, and I will tell you why. Well, most importantly, the reason I like the 49ers is because everybody is on the Eagles. 91% of the money is coming in on the Eagles right now. Everybody is on the Eagles. Why? Because you have Jalen Hurts at home against a rookie quarterback, as you just mentioned. Eagles 8-2 and two at home. One of their losses came against the Saints when Gardner Minshew played. The other came against the Washington Commanders. Not sure how they lost that game, but regardless, one loss at home in Philly. The question in this game is, how healthy is Jalen Hurts? Because last week we all said, that was a question, right? How healthy is Jalen Hurts? Mm-hmm. And everybody picked the Giants, but a week later, everybody's picking the Eagles. Because he's healthy. You he look great last week. There's not Pat Mahomes, who's still limping on Wednesday. Jalen ran the ball against the Giants last week, stepped back in the pocket and threw the football, had zero signs of any lingering injury. That's, he only that's... threw 24 times last week for 154 yards. Right. Eagles ran the ball 44 times for 268 yards and three touchdowns. They got up early. Jalen Hurts did not have to make the throws that he's accustomed to no, making. No, that's true. But when he threw the football and he ran the ball, he was still healthy. And by the way, you're going to go on and on about McCaffrey. Miles Sanders runs the ball as well as anybody. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Gi- the Giants' run defense is very different than the 49ers' run defense. Giants' run defense one of the worst in the league. No doubt. Year. No doubt. What this game is going to come down to for me the Niners are only going to win if Purdy has a... You can't run against the Eagles. I don't care how good McCaffrey is. I love him. The other kid, Mitchell, you can't run against the Eagles. You, uh, you want to convince me that Brock Purdy is going to make enough big plays in the air when Hurts has the best wide receiving core in football with, with uh, Smith and A.J. Brown. You're going to tell me Brock Purdy on the road at a place like Philadelphia is going to make big throws and win that game. He doesn't have You're to. Nuts. He, doesn't, he hasn't done it. He's... He's been what he's had to do, and but that you is a game you can't at- run the ball against the Eagles. They ran it against Dallas last week in the fourth quarter. They ran it at will. They were getting seven yards a carry. You can't do that against the Eagles. The 49ers have the best defense in the league. They have yes. three first-team all-pros at all three levels. You have the defensive player in the year, Nick Bosa. You have the linebacker, Fred Warner, who's terrific. And then you have the safety, Talano Hufanga. All great. Greenlaw's is- a great player, too. They have a great defense. Right. And, and the Eagles have a great offense. But so do the 49ers. If, if you compare these teams, the only place the Eagles have the advantage is at the quarterback position. That's, and that's the most important position on the field, especially the first. The 49ers don't have a great offense. They got a young rookie quarterback who's been able to win games running the football, making plays to Kittle when he has to. My point is he needs to do more to win in Philly on Sunday, and we have no proof he can do that. I have, I have a logical, well-thought-out, non-emotional reason why I like the San Francisco 49ers in this game. Because I hate the Philadelphia. Yeah, there you go. I like it. <laughs> so I'm going for the Niners. I got the Niners, too. I'm fading the public in this game. Okay. Everybody's on the Eagles. If it was that easy, then we'd all be rich. All right, let's go to Kansas City, Cincinnati. Cincinnati's now beaten the Chiefs three consecutive times. For all the talk about Mahomes and Hurts and all these guys, there's no more consistent quarterback in football than Joe Burrow. All they do is win. And now you got Mahomes. He's not healthy. I don't care if he plays or not. He's not healthy. I saw that injury. That is a high ankle sprain, worse than what Tony Pollard did last week. He's going to play because he's a brave kid. But if Burrow beat him in his own house three consecutive times when he's healthy, why would the Chiefs win this Sunday when the Bengals are the hottest team in football? This is a tough game to project because we do not know how healthy Patrick Mahomes is. I don't is. care. If you can't... looked at him last week, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't walk. He couldn't walk. He was... he, but, but again, he's lost to Burrow three consecutive times when he was healthy. 
So all games were a one possession game. All games came down to the fourth quarter, the last drive of the game. So you know they could easily go the other way. But Joe Burrow, first of all, Joe Burrow's fantastic. And you know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of Peyton Manning. He does. I'll he, give you that. He is just phenomenal, and he's three zero against um, Patrick Mahomes. But it's a tough game. Casey, they're nine and one at home. Their only loss at home came against the Bills. But how healthy is Patrick Mahomes? That's a million-dollar question. He practiced Wednesday in full. He practiced Thursday in full. But can he be 85% after having a high ankle sprain last, last week? That's a million-dollar question. No, that's a beautiful picture of Andrew Giuliani and Joe Burrow. In the Oval Office, too, by the way. Now, when was that? Oh, you met that Joe. was when they won. That's when they, when they won the national championship, LSU. Oh, LSU. Came in right. 72 hours later. Right. Trump spent two and a half hours with him. Loved Coach well, Joe. Trump, loved Trump, Burrow. That year, Trump went to the LSU-Alabama game. That's right. Do you remember that? We, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And and then went to the national championship game, which was lsu Clemson yes. in New Orleans yes. advanced that trip. That's when you had Vince Vaughn came up, got a lot of heat because he came up on this. I remember that. Look, I love Joe Burrow. He is my guy. I just have this feeling with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, you're right. The Bengals beat him three times in a row, but every single time the Chiefs were favored in this game. Now, they're one-point favorites here, but everybody's on Cincinnati on this game. I just have this feeling that greatness is in Patrick Mahomes, and he's somehow going to find a way to pull this game out along with Andy Reid. He's no better than Joe Burrow. Don't give me the greatness in Mahomes. Burrow is not nearly as exciting. He doesn't throw the ball under his legs, around his back, over his head. He just wins. So I can't give you that. I mean, Mahomes is special. So is Burrow. You're right. The Chiefs are a one-point favorite. What that says is they're really a two-point underdog because yeah. you got three points for being at home. Right. Uh, so they're, they're betting. You know, it's, the same thing with the 49ers, by the way. The Eagles are a two-and-a-half-point favorite, but they get three for being at home. So both road teams, really, Vegas considers the better team, yeah. the Bengals and the 49ers. So I've gone you back like, and forth on this one. I have. But you I, like the Chiefs. I, I'm settling with the Chiefs. I've gone back and forth on this So one. you like this Chiefs and Niners. Chiefs and Niners. And what do you like, Mike? I think I'm leaning the under in this game. Opened at 52.5. It's down to 47.5. That's a big drop. Obviously, wow. the drop does probably come because of Mahomes. But 68% of tickets still coming on the over. We call that reverse line yeah. movement. I like the under in this game. That well, would be my lean. Well, if you're January in Kansas City, mm-hmm. the weather could be bad. Yeah. When you talk about totals, you got to go to the weather. Yeah. So if you're going to promise me, like last week in Buffalo, it snowed a lot, but but you can still run and throw the football. What's the weather going to be like in Kansas City on Sunday? It's going to be cold, cold. expected in January in right. KC. I don't think they're expecting snow, but it's, it's going to be cold. So okay, cold, twenty five degrees high. Looks like it's sunny. No snow. Yeah, see those guys. Burrow. It's not like the Dolphins are coming to town. Burrow plays in Cincinnati. Yeah, he's used to cold weather. Mm-hmm. All right, I like the uh, I like the Bengals, and I like. I'll tell you the one thing: the public is on the Bengals and the Eagles. They will not both win. The public will not go two and zero. That's fair. Uh, give me your uh, quick uh, take here, Mike Dodino, on this Rogers story. Hackett uh, worked with Rogers in Green Bay. The Jets hired Hackett yesterday as the offensive coordinator. People think, oh, there it is. Now Hackett's bringing Aaron to New York. What are your thoughts on I that? I think there's only one logical explanation of how Nathaniel Hackett can get a job one month removed after a pathetic performance in Denver, and that is because the Jets think they have a legit shot at Aaron Rodgers. Hackett coached with him in Green Bay. Quickly here, Nathaniel Hackett, give you a quick history on him if you don't know him. Began his career in 2003. He was assistant coach in college, blah, blah, blah. Moved to the NFL. He's been an offensive coordinator since 
2016, he led three teams to conference championships. He led Jacksonville to one in 2017. Do yep. you remember that team with Blake Bortles? He actually yep. probably should have advanced to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Brady made a great comeback late in that game. And then 2019 and 2020, he led Green Bay to NFC Championship game. So he has a somewhat good resume as a coordinator. There's only one logical explanation how this guy can get a job one month removed after a pathetic performance in Denver with Russell Wilson. And that's because the Jets think they're going to get Aaron Rodgers. And I think they will get Aaron Rodgers. To me, it's between them and the Raiders. Wow, he thinks they will get Aaron Rodgers. I think they will. And if not, it's only two scenarios here. Either the Jets get this guy and... You know, they bring in Rodgers because of him, or it's the same old Jets, and they're pathetic, and they hire this guy that was just run out of Denver after a pathetic performance. It only goes one of two ways. So well, then, and it, and it could th- be either one with the Jets. Yeah, I mean. will a 38-year-old Aaron Rodgers, I'm getting ahead of myself, be the better quarterback in New York versus a 26-year-old Daniel Jones at that point? Absolutely. Daniel Jones is overrated. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers is a four-time MVP. Let me tell you something. I, w- I wouldn't compare anybody uh, to Aaron Rodgers. Quickly, no. quickly, let me tell you <laughs> one the, thing. The better question is, are the Jets better off with a 38-year-old Aaron Rodgers or a much younger Derek Carr? Yeah. That, that's the question. Yeah, that's not a question because Aaron Rodgers, if... At the end of the day, you want to win a Super Bowl, and the window is there for the Jets right now. They have a ton of talent. They have a good offensive line. They have good scale weapons on offense. They're great on defense. They have the number one corner in the league. They have one of the best defensive linemen in the league. What is the end goal? It's to win the Super Bowl. Trade the picks. You have the cap. Get Aaron Rodgers. I'm either going to go one up here, sign Odell Beckham, and then you're big-time wow, Super Bowl favorites. I like uh, it. I sign the Beckham. Might... You lost me at Beckham yeah, over here. 30 guy... seconds to go. Literally 30 <laughs> seconds. Mike Dino quickly. Tom Brady. Does he play or retire? He's retiring. The Bucks were awful for 18 weeks this year. Tom Brady is a shell of him for himself. I love the guy. He's one of my favorite guys to ever play. In the NFL, he's a shell of himself. He needs to retire. All right. Mike Dodino, check out WABCradio.com. Does a great job with sports every day, along with my guys, Macedonia, Bill, Justin, Ellick, all those guys, Salas. They all uh, chip in. Nicely done, Mike Dodino. Thank you, great Sid. job. Thank Always you. nice being here. Appreciate it. We'll talk before the Super Bowl. We need a contestant for Sid's take, 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. Phil, what is the game about today? Well, it's football Friday. Football! Oh, football Friday. Baby. Oh, yeah. Football, you guys know about that sport? Yeah. We got, um, I got all cha- uh, conference championship questions here for today. So. Well, oh, I that's love great. It. Now, by the way, we're not going to play a contestant. It's going to be me versus Andrew. So we don't need a contestant today. I like okay. it. Yeah, okay. Rosenberg well, versus I like Julian. I like where I am on this one right here. I didn't like the music topic on Tuesday, but I like a little conference championship coming up. Mm-hmm. All right. It's there you have it. Now, it's time for Sid's Take. Good luck. It's Sid's Take. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters on 77 WABC. All right. 946 on your Friday morning. Friday. That's what I like to call. Beautiful uh, beautiful morning here in New York City, I got to tell you. You look extra chipper today. Is that because you are going down I-95 mm-hmm. to the Birds game on Sunday? You know it, Andrew. I am, oh, uh, but I'll actually be going there. I'm heading there tomorrow. Tomorrow? I'm making the uh, strategical decision to uh, get to Philadelphia Saturday night. Is there a lacrosse game Saturday night that the Philadelphia Eagles fans have figured they can tailgate from like Saturday midday all the way No, but through? It's, a, it's a 3 p.m. kickoff, so I would okay. imagine they open the parking. They'll probably open the parking lots at 8 a.m. Uh, just mangled. Think. Just mangles just Eagles a, fans everywhere. It'll be an absolute um, debacle. Yes. Let's just let's just put a lot it that of way. Philly green beer. Exactly. Just everywhere. Exactly. So the game, before I forget, sponsored again by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. You gotta go to peerlessboilers.com, paviliontankless.com to find a dealer near you because they're America's best built boilers. We know that to be true. 
Andrew Giuliani again is our contestant for today's game. Okay, I'm ready for this. I'm oh. ready for Sydney. A football Friday Let's version of the game, if you will. Some uh, some football trivia to see if you're all up to date on uh, on your football uh, facts. We will find out. Toys. I feel more confident going into this than I did about music on yeah. Tuesday. So I'm ready for this. That was a that was I'm a, ready for yeah. This. That was a tough tough performance for yeah. out of you. Yeah, you it had was. A, you had a couple high it points, was, but uh, I almost didn't get invited back. So nah. I, there's a lot of pressure now. Actually, I now that I think it. about you it, were, I was excited. Yeah. Now I'm sweating bullets. Well, <laughs> you were sweating on uh, on Tuesday. I too, was. So. I was. It was terrible. All right, here we go. Let's hop on in. Number one, who was the last Kansas City Chief to win a Super Bowl MVP? Patrick Mahomes. There you go. Hopefully they'll get harder. Layup slam dunk. That was yeah. almost so easy. I was, I was <laughs> oh my God. Write the game if you want it to be harder, damn it. <laughs> Number two, what are the only two NFL franchises with more Super Bowl trophies than the San Francisco 49ers? The Pittsburgh Steelers and New England Patriots. Wow. There you go. Very good, Andrew Julian. Almost went for the slam dunk with the Cowboys there, but I... Nope, 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 nope. nope. That was a trick. That was a trick. I saw that. Uh-huh. Clever, okay. clever out of Phil. Two or two. Two for two. Number three, name one of the two Cincinnati Bengals players to ever win a regular season MVP. Oh, who more size? There you go. Who's the other one? Ken Anderson. Ah, Ken Anderson. Yep. Three for three. Okay. A nice showing so far Ooh. out of Andrew Giuliani, okay. number four. This game is too easy. Too easy, Phil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, the game sucks. I um, should be fired. All I do is answer phone calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's 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 we that's finally true. agree. Yeah, we, we finally agree. Enjoy President's Day. It's Friday morning. making sense. It's going to be great. We start preparing now. Phil starts to trail off. I need some cuts for President's Day, Phil. Like 3 o'clock on Wednesday, Phil just falls off. He needs Kenny Anderson right now. My weekend's on a Monday afternoon. Exactly. All right, number four. In an attempt to stay perfect here, what team... Did the Philadelphia Eagles temporarily merge with in World War II? Is it oh, a, ooh, the Steelers? Tor- oh, the I didn't even need it. Steelers didn't even need it. Oh yep. my Steelers! Wow. Yep, what? I know that because I had a Philly roommate who was just obsessed and nuts. And like I said, the best guy in the world until kickoff game, I guess. and then he just turned into like the the Hulk over oh here. And God. if you're gonna make an assumption, if you're gonna take a guess, why not guess the Steelers, both right. Pennsylvania football uh, team? And what so. were they called? Were they like the Steagles, Right? Was it the Steagles? Or did uh, I get I that know. right? I think Phil? it was. They changed Steagles? the name for a bit. We got to look that one up. Phil. To the I'll Steagles. Have some value, Phil. Come on. <laughs> and number Stegales, five, Stegales. I think they call Stegales. Yes. The Stegales. The Stegales. Yeah, it was the Philadelphia Pittsburgh Steagles. The Steagles. It was the Steagles. There you go. Did that one right That's there. not even a real thing. A Poor stupid name. What a dumb name. Stupid. That's what he's going to say. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's a stupid name. Go to the next question. Next question. And number five. What teams are tied for the longest drought of a conference championship appearance? The Detroit Lions. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, it's got to be a team that started from the beginning of can... the NFL-NFC merger... It's I'm going to give you a hint, Jets. Andrew. Oh, I get a hint. Okay, go ahead. They they played each other the last time. Oh, they both made it to the conference championship. God. That's not going to help. They played each other yeah. the last time. It might help. That's not going to help. I don't think the Detroit Lions made the conference championship. Have they? On the side Sanders? They've made it and one I time. I don't know who the other one is. Mm. Let's, uh, give me a guess. Got to guess. Oh, who is it? It's This is stupid. Who's sucked for a while? Who sucked for a very long time? Yeah. Uh, the... Miami Dolphins. Oof. No, it's not the case. They made it in a Marino. That's terrible. Oof. I have no clue. That second wow. one. Wow. Washington, Washington Commanders. No. Yeah. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, 91. Wow. How about that? Oh, we're trusting Phil, Okay. So. Hey, there you go. Four for five ain't bad. Uh, well, not bad. It's not bad. I wanted perfect. Yeah. Well, I wanted perfect. No, maybe one. But I get the Steagles. That's like a hat. Exactly. Right. That's they the call hook. Them Andrew I got the hook. Actually. 
Here he is, the great Sid Rosenberg, okay. the champ, if you will. He went Hi. four for five. Four out of five. Not bad. Not bad. I, I, I was bad. ready. Great. I was on the edge of perfection. Oh, that's a good job. Yeah. All right. If I hear more feedback in my ear, I'm going to explode. Shut up and play the game. Who's Let's go. Is that? You have to go. Hurry up. Come on. Number one, who was the last Kansas City Chief to win a Super Bowl MVP? Patrick Mahomes. There you go. Yeah, it was almost two. Number two, what are the only two NFL franchises with more Super Bowl trophies than the San Francisco 49ers? Wait, say it again. What are the only two NFL franchises with more Super Bowl trophies than the San Francisco 49ers? The New England Patriots. Mm-hmm. And the more than the 49ers, huh? Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh Steelers? There you go. Well done. Two for two. Number he's three. Still, still staring like he can't believe he <laughs> yeah. got it. Yeah. Uh, I almost, I almost won <laughs> Dallas. Yeah, I almost right. won Dallas. Number three. Name one of the two Cincinnati Bengals players to ever win a regular season MVP. What? Name one of the two Cincinnati Bengals players to ever win a regular it's season a, MVP. It's like a re, it's like an easy thing. A regular Joe Burrow? season. Oh, oh, oh. What? Oh. Well, no, hold on. You mean current or altogether? Altogether. No, in history. Oh, I thought you meant current. I'm sorry. One of the two Cincinnati Bengals players to win an MVP. I am going to go with... He gets another guess? Yeah, already, already yeah I want to guess already. anyway. You know how I know it wasn't current? <laughs> how? Because he didn't say current. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, don't listen. That's your problem. You don't listen. Shut up! Uh, I don't know. Nobody's listening to you, Phil. Shut up. Ken Anderson and Boomer Esiason. Both quarterbacks who lost to Joe Montana in Super Bowls in the 1980s. No. So you know that. So you know details. All right. Two for three. On to Good number job, four. Though. What team did the Philadelphia Eagles temporarily merge with in World War II? Is it A, the Pittsburgh Steelers, B, the New York Giants, or C, the Baltimore Colts? You got this right. I got that right. He didn't, even, he didn't even need the multiple choice. choice on it. Pittsburgh Steelers. There you go. Yeah. Do you know the name? It's stupid. Uh, I don't remember. The Steagles. Steagles, yeah. Steagles. <laughs> All right, three for four. In an attempt to tie, what teams are tied for the longest drought of a conference championship appearance? What? <laughs> no, what, it's not one. What teams are tied for the longest drought of a conference championship appearance? Yeah, what two teams are tied for the longest drought? You got this right? No, it's a tough one. I got one out of two. You got one out of two. I couldn't get the other. The Browns and Lions. Mm, yeah, I got the Lions. You got the Lions. The, the other yeah. team is the Commanders or the Redskins. Oh, okay. When were the so, Browns last in it? Uh, the Browns in the conference championship? Yeah, when were the last time they were? Bernie Kosar. A bunch of times against John Elway you and the Broncos. You know why? Because, because the Browns are a new franchise since 91. That's probably right. right, right? They, but uh, in the 80s, Bernie yeah. Kosar got there. I mean, the Ernest yeah. Biner fumble. Right. That was a killer. Yeah, he got so there two the or three times. Yeah. Right. But Should the commanders in the early Anderson 90s. And Boomer yeah. All right, we'll wrap it up. Come back on a Friday with Sid and Friends in the morning. Andrew gets the win four to three. Come back and wrap it up right after this. It's Sid's Take, sponsored by Fearless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters on 77 WABC. 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Oh, perfect song for NFL Championship Weekend. Queen, two big games coming up. Well, it's a heck of a show we put on today, Andrew. Great job. We discussed everything from the Holocaust to Vietnam to the mayor to the, uh, the White House to football. I mean, we hit it all. 
Great show. You did a great job. It was great having you. You'll be back again on Monday on your back. birthday, and it was a blast, man. Back on I'll probably Monday. see you this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. You get invited. It's like I said, it's the third time you get invited. you got to make an appearance now. <laughs> no, you're That's right. It. It's your rule, not it, ours. It all adopted, depends on you know? Danielle. She's got 22 miles tomorrow Jeez. as she continues to train for the Tokyo Marathon, the last of the big six. Wow. So she feels okay tomorrow night. We'll be with the Giuliani's. I love it. If she's tired and beat up. I'll be getting our pizza. Understood. And being quiet. Understood. <laughs> you know Understood. Understood. You know the deal. But either way, have a great weekend. If I see you, if not, we'll see you Monday morning for your birthday. So, Absolutely. Great job today. Lou Rapino, you're a genius. And uh, MJ, you're the reason why. Phil Macedonia, great week, man. Really great week. Justin Ellick, terrific week. Deb Valentine, great week. Noam Layden, great week. God willing, we'll all be back for Andrew's birthday Monday morning at 6 a.m. Until then. From all of us on Sitting Friends in the Morning to all of you, enjoy the football. Peace! Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority. PriorityGoldGuide.com